okay, so now we're in double digits. This is the tenth one. Mm-hmm. It's perfect because this. What is the Roman numeral symbol for yeah. ten? But X. This is episode ten, and also episode X. Yep. Uh, talking about the band X. Los Angeles debut record. Uh, released in April of 1980 on Slash, which was was a magazine first, right? Uh-huh. Magazine, magazine editor ended up... A magazine slash record label? Slash record label. But magazine first, and then they decided to start putting records out from the local Los Angeles uh, underground punk scene that was happening in the day at... Yeah, they put out like the germs and uh, there's that iconic uh, picture of uh, Darby Crash where he's got like bleach blonde hair and it's just because of the way the flash hit his eyes, his eyes look all evil and he's like, he's got his fangs out and that's like the classic like slash like poster, almost kind of like the the Screamers logo where it's just, it's like you, you don't even have to know what the music is or anything you just but it's the imagery is so um you know striking that it kind of stood on its own over um, there by that the studio re- you recorded the fiends album what in echo park what about it like the building next door they have that painting that oh really oh yeah that's right it's the they darby do. it's on the side of the liquor store i think yeah it's like the, the darby slash crash slash cover mm-hmm. that magazine cover yeah but this is like, um, so they're like, you know, first wave, uh, original punk rock, uh, Los Angeles punk rock. Um, definitely playing like in the late 70s. Uh, it's, they have kind of a weird story. The first, I think my first intro to them, um, it's kind of two different things. The one thing I remember, you had you had the 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 CD. It was like a double disc set. It was their first two albums, Los Angeles and Wild Gift. Um, and I don't even know if it was a double CD, but it had both those records on the CD. And because the songs are so short, it probably was just on one. Um, but I remember listening to them, and they were kind of just interchangeable like it just sounded like one long record which later to find out actually their first four records were all produced by ray manzarek the uh organ player from the doors who took a liking to them and because i think he used to have his foot in the uh in the underground water per se like he would go to shows at like the cafe de grand and the hong kong cafe maybe even the mask for some reason he was like just in tune with what was hip going around at the time. And he probably saw something in them that uh, everybody else did too. So that brings me to my second intro, which was watching the Penelope Spears movie, Decline of the Western Civilization. That was just matching the imagery to the music because that movie was so had such a big effect on me talking about uh, the documentary from the late 70s uh, in Hollywood. It was, you know, it was Black Flag. It was the Circle Jerks, Catholic Discipline, um, 
who else is in that movie? X, The Germs, Fear. Um, but the bags, the bags, yeah, bags. Um, and they're all playing. Like they show them, they show them in their natural habitats. They show them in their rehearsal spaces or in their, uh, you know, their homes. Like Darby Crash, it's he's in his house. Um, and they show them playing at venues like the Fleetwood, the Cafe du Grand, um, the Hong Kong Cafe, the and mask. no, it's not the, not at the Mask. There's they no footage that? of that. Mm-mm. Is the Mask? The Mask is also where they recorded, right? That was also the recording studio. No, the Mask was just a venue just a in venue? Hollywood. It was over you know, there. it's a it's a production company now. Is it? Yeah, because I was looking for, I was trying to find out where it was because it's right there off Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, I thought it was over there by where like moguls used to be. Like it was in it's, some weird spot. It's right behind what's that club? Not Bordner's, but on Cherokee. Mm-hmm. That's where Bordner's was. Bordner's is still there, but it's on. So it's Cherokee. not Cherokee. So it's not Cherokee. Las Palmas, maybe. Las Palmas. That's where a I club there. That's it used to be. A Moguls was over maybe there. Maybe that's what it is. But behind that club on that street on that part of Hollywood, there's mm-hmm. a there's a because it goes down. It's like a it's like a, a stairway is down mm-hmm. into you know a stairway that goes down. And I was trying to yeah, it was like a basement trying to find it for like a photo shoot. And it ends up being it's a production company. Mm. The basement still exists with all this original natural sp- graffiti, the spray paint, and everything that's down there. It's still there, but it's like they use it as like a storage room or something. So yeah. it's just it's just like you know production supplies and shit. Well, that's and what's his name? Uh, Brendan Mullen. He was the guy that basically curated that space. So he was pretty integral into the whole scene in Los Angeles by having that place. He's in the movie too, Decline of the Western Civilization, which is cool because it makes it kind of like a really complete, at the time, uh, like snapshot of what was happening. Yeah. But I think they did have like a anniversary of the mask party in the place. And that's oh, where really? they kind of discovered. This was years ago because he's dead now. But Yeah, he's been dead for a few years. Where they found out that it was still there, kind of preserved with graffiti <coughs> and everything. Right. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of places on Hollywood. Like there was Raji's was down there. I remember um, Raji's. Yeah, Moguls was a place that had to have been a place before it was what it was. There's King King, uh, the Cafe de Grand. I think was off off of Selma, between Hollywood and Sunset. Um, and then you had play, like the Starwood was over like on Crescent Heights and uh, I think Santa Monica, Boulevard. But at this time too, there was like. Bands were playing at the whiskey, like X was playing at the whiskey. You had yeah. There's actually a crazy story of them playing in the whiskey, as they were backstage. I can't remember who the opening bands were, but it was all the same bands playing together. It was you know, mm-hmm. it was the, the Bags cats. and the Weirdos and like all these bands. Was like, what was the band that never put a record out? Was the it, Screamers. The Screamers. They were playing, and X was like. The headliner of the night, you know, X was like headlining and like people that formed the Go-Go's were there at the mm-hmm. shows. They were in the crowd, Jane Weedland and and Belinda Car Belinda Carlisle was I think she was in the germs at one point. I think she was in an iteration of the germs mm-hmm. or played with Darby and some other band like Darby and Pat Smear were in a different band together before the germs, before Lorna Doom came in and, and 
they form the germs with Don Bowles and what have you. But um, the crazy story is Exine's sister was hit by a car or in a car wreck on the way to the show. Mm-hmm. Got killed. Somehow that message got to Exine there at the fucking venue. And she broke down and just was, you know, obviously completely like a mess. But she, they still played the fucking show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they still played that night that her sister got killed on the way to the fucking show. Like, it's, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just weird that like, she would continue, you know, that they would still go on mm-hmm. and play. Um, I guess there was nothing else to do other than just, you know, get through it, get through the trauma by, you know, fucking letting it out all on stage or whatever. But yeah, the people that were there, the people who knew what had happened were like, you know, stunned or whatever. But the people who were there that had no idea what had happened were just like blown away by what X did on stage that Mm -hmm. night. You know, like there was a lot more to their performance. And I don't think John, I don't think her and John Doe were. I think they were together then. Were they together back then? I know they ended up getting married, but I, I from his from his recount, it was like he was a puppy dog chasing after her for all those years, and they mm. they finally ended up, you know, getting together or mm-hmm. being married or whatever. And but for a long time, it was like she wasn't having it, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, but. Then you know I don't know if they're still considered being together. I don't know. I don't know. They're supposedly they're friends or just but friends. Their dynamic though, so is so weird because they both. If you think about like, I mean, they wrote songs together. I think she probably wrote was a little bit heavier handed on the lyricism. Yeah, but because she wrote poetry and they go like they both have really unique voices, and it's like when they're together, it's just fucking amazing. It's it's crazy. And that's that's one of the things that stood out to me, like in that movie, the first time I saw it, like it didn't it made me get into two bands, like out of all the bands in the decline of the Western civilization, it made me fall in love with the Circle Jerks and with X. The Circle Jerks it made me fall in love with because the music was just so frantic and so just nutty and they the footage they show, it's like it's just these like just violent like slam pits where, you know, at the time I was a kid and I'm like, that's that's what I want to do. I love this. Um, X, theirs stood out to me just because they were so fucking good. They were just so much better than all those other bands. Like I didn't really get into Black Flag like back then because also Black Flag was such a weird thing to me where it's like, OK, they were almost like I'm trying to think of a band. Uh, that reminds me of Black Flag in the sense where they just had so many changes. Like when I thought of Black Flag, I'm like, okay, well, it's Black Flag. I'm thinking of Damaged or whatever. Even though I didn't know that record yet, I just knew that Henry Rollins was the singer of Black Flag. And they had a lots of imagery tied to that where like he looked like a skinhead. They had a really violent following. And to me, that's what Black Flag was. Yeah. Before and then you in the knew movie, that it it's like it's Chavo singing. Chavo. So I was like, who is this? And then they had Robo, the drummer from The Misfits, was their drummer yeah. before Bill Stevenson. And he's not the best drummer. So that's another reason why the Circle Jerks were so much farther superior, because they had a better drummer. But Keith was in Black Flag, too. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't know so, that then. 
So Keith, I just always knew that Keith Morris was in the Circle Jerks. Was, I didn't know he was in Black Flag. It was yet. Greg. Greg Ginn. He started Black Flag. Greg Ginn is Black Flag. Is Black Flag. Yeah. He started it with his brother, Raymond Pettibone, and then because he was actually playing instruments, and then he just took over their whole art direction. Yeah. And then the first singer is Chavo. Mm-mm. It's Dez? No. Oh, Keith. It's Keith Morris. Keith. And then they got Chavo. And then Dez. And then they got Dez Cadena. And then Dez Cadena moved to guitar, and, and Henry Rollins came in. Yeah. And then they shared Bill Stevenson, the drummer from The Descendants. It's a lot of, like, that band was really incestuous. It was homogenized with a lot of different, yeah. But their, their footage in that movie, it's not that spectacular. That's why I was never, like, taken by them, like. The bags and Catholic discipline, I just thought was like, this is crap. Like, I don't even like it. Um, Fear, I liked because they were just funny and are talking shit to the audience. And they had good songs, but it wasn't like, it was nothing that made me like want to like go deeper. But X, it was like. X had a. They just played music. They had a musicality to them. And like. DJ Bonebreak is a fucking amazing drummer. He plays. Like, they're playing punk rock, but it's such a different context. And they have, like, they come from, like, a rock. like a roots background yeah. where not like, like, because the Blasters were around at the same time and they were good friends with them. Um, like, Billy Zoom, just, he brought that, like, rockabilly. Well, he's, they're playing Chuck Berry songs. Yeah, it's like know? Chuck Berry rhythms, rockabilly, like, roots, and then. And he's playing these big Gretsch guitars and yeah. him and, you know, even. Uh, like you look at the back cover of that album and they all look like I mean they're wearing tucked in flannel shirts they got big cowboy buckles but leather jackets uh, there's uh, there's another movie um, Erga Music War a little bit later mm. and they're in that movie they show them playing at the Santa Monica Civic and they show them driving around in like a chop top uh, like 50s 50s like Chevy truck or or a car. I don't. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it just fit their image. But you didn't think of it as like. It's almost kind of like how social distortion. I think of social distortion in two ways. I think of them like after a certain point, after that whatever record it was that had like ball and chain. It's like now they're just like, sewn up with that rockabilly imagery. They are no longer a punk rock band. Right. Yeah. X somehow pulled it off where they have this natural rockabilly aesthetic by the clothes and even some of the music stylings, but they're always just a punk rock band. Like it was weird how they kind of pulled that off and made it like it didn't, it wasn't niche and it wasn't like subject to category to me. It was just like, because they had so much more to say musically, they just wrote fucking better songs than any of those. And even like, you know, uh, Ray Ray Manzarek is their producer, but even their cover, their Doors cover, it's like I'm a big fan of the Doors, but even their covers original to their yeah, it didn't sound anything like that song to their sound, but you it's know, that and it's, song. It's like Exine's like chanting voice on it with the you know with the with the drumming that's got that like cadence to it. It's like they just turned it into their own song, and it's a fucking huge Doors song. Yeah. You know, that they still pulled off and made it their own, you know, having the the member of the Doors produce your record. And, you know, I I, I want to say, I, didn't they do, did they do two Doors covers? 
They might have. I don't know. I think they did because Soul Kitchen is the first one on the first record. I want to say they did another one, or maybe I'm thinking another band like that did. They might have uh, did like Hello, I Love You or something. I don't or know. Or Crystal Ship or something. I don't think um, they did that. But, uh, but you know the the Johnny Hit and Run Pauline. This, aside from the the title track, like there's good solid debut tracks on this record. Yeah, the whole the whole yeah. album is great. Like, yeah. um, and it has a lot of. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I'm looking at the song titles. It's, I mean, and, and the songs. They're all for the most part, all kind of up-tempo, kind of, you know, they got some some guitar hooks in there. They have the dynamic of the, you know, John Doe has like kind of this soft, warm, haunting approach to his vocals, kind of in a way that Exene does. Like Exene, uh, Servanka, that's her last name, uh, her, between her lyrics, her delivery, and the way she dresses, like, she could have been like, like a death rock gothic queen you know what i mean like she looks like this gypsy kind of hippie kind of definitely dark you know yeah um but there's just something about like the timbre of her voice which is like it's haunting and soothing at the same time and that's you, you can't always do that sometimes it's either it's almost like like not that not that this is stylistically any way uh comparable but it's like you either like Kate Bush or you don't kind of, kind of thing. You know what I think of when I think of uh, certain people, but with Exene, she kind of has this like mass appeal and the way that they put together their group, like, cause DJ Bonebreak, the drummer is, he's just, he's like a, he's just playing what the song needs, but he's got a lot of flash. And also he comes up with just the, like, it's on the second record, but the song, um, uh, what's it called? We're Desperate. That's my favorite song. That drum beat, like, yeah. is, like, what is that? You know what I mean? That's like, my favorite song of theirs. Hands down, favorite song of theirs. And it's it's two minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a two-minute track that blows away so many other bands and and songs like in the two minutes what they did in that and something like the the topic that they're talking about the you know just how their life is a mess their life is a wreck and they're changing their address every other week i got a new address it's Mm -hmm. like it's something that everybody in their young early days can relate to you know Mm -hmm. when you're 20 and you're just like you you're too focused on living your life instead of like being responsible and it's like we're desperate you know it's like it's like it's funny but it's relatable the song is just the speed of the song is perfect that you know and the lyrics and the way that they each trade off the the vocal duties it's like they're a punk rock version of of june carter and johnny cash kind of like they go together like that and you know romantically involved yeah, there's a lot artistically, of artistically like there's a heartache, dream team. There's heartache and there's reality in their lyricism, and it's relatable. Like you know, yeah. someone could sit there and pour their guts out and their heart out, but if they don't do it in the right way, people aren't going to uh, connect to it. But right. when you can get people to relate to what you're saying, and it could be something super personal, but 
you don't even necessarily have to try to put it into a, okay, how, how are people going to relate to this? It seems like they're just writing. And it was just like, this is how we feel right now, right then. And um, like how you're saying, like kids, uh, not even kids, like 20 somethings back then. Young adults. Whenever you're in, yeah, you're just yeah. like, man, I, I'm working this shitty job. I, I want to do these things with my life, but I'm getting to this point of, you know, always on the tightrope of compromise. But at the same time, like that fucking calendar is going to turn into day one again. And I got to come up with my rent. Yeah. I got to figure out how to problem, how to have fun, live my life, create the art that I'm creating. And it's like a lot of, a lot of the theme, you know, for a, for a record coming out in 1980 and being 3,000 miles away from what's happening in New York, it's the same theme. Like, uh, like listening to this first record and like, you know, obviously this didn't come out till a few years ago, but Patti Smith wrote a book called Just Kids and it's about her life with Robert Maplethorpe and it's mm -hmm. like, that storyline is the same as John and Exene happening in LA, but they're making music together. Yeah. Patti Smith is, you know, Robert Maplethorpe's a photographer. He's making art. And she's and, a poet that and turned she's, into a yeah, performance artist. She's a poet as turning, yeah, turning into a queen of punk on the New York side. And it's like it's happening almost at the same time without ever knowing each other, without, you know, knowing what's going on over there. But like the 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 grit of the the condition is the same thing. And it's like it resonates with people, especially those of us that gravitated towards this kind of stuff, you know, we were lucky to be alive during the bill, you know, the buddings of this. I mean, I wasn't really aware cause I was nine years old, but only a few years later I started, you know, mm -hmm. getting into this kind of stuff. And it wasn't like we had to go too far back to get the, the history of, no. you know, of our, our culture in Los Angeles. And, and the, the, the same time that X is coming up with, you know, with these with these records and the weirdos and the screamers and Alice Bag and stuff, there's like a tiny little thing coming from the neighborhood we're from, you know, from the Boyle Heights, East LA, like Los Lobos are coming out mm -hmm. of this time period. And there's uh I can't remember the other band that had like the the guy the the guy Elvez, he was in a punk rock band back in the day, playing with all these bands too. Mm. And, you know, like our uncle his his wedding band was Los Lobos. Mm -hmm. Like that's how that's how everything was seemed very homegrown. You know, like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel that way anymore. Even though bands are still happening, like the homegrownness doesn't seem the same as it did well, back then. I think too it's because <clears throat> everything's so homogenized nowadays. Like any kind of scene that I think has come about in Los Angeles post, you know, turn of the century it's always been it seemed too curated like there was like the whole beachwood sparks thing and then after that there was the next i don't even know what maybe like the silver sun pickups or shit like that where but the thing was is that the bands that kind of sprouted and turned into a little scene or whatever it was like they're all the same even, yeah even in the even with like the red hot chili peppers and jane's addiction they all kind of had something different but they were like, like if you went to a show and you saw Jane's Addiction, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mary's Danish, maybe Fishbone or like Mary's Danish. 
they all were like, it was, they all had something different about them, but for someone that didn't know anything about them, they could easily probably just sat there, watched all of them and been kind of like, yeah, they all were relatable. Like yeah. they all kind of had this funk rock thing going on. With this scene from Los Angeles, unhomogenized, it's like you've got the Blasters playing with the fucking the Dickies. Yeah. With fucking the Minutemen. It's like no, there is nothing similar in that in those bands whatsoever. But yet they're all playing together. Yeah. And they're creating a scene that has so much more to do with music because it's not just, oh, well, let's start a music scene, but who are we going to let in? It wasn't about letting anyone in. It, none of these people were cool. This was just, hey, we fucking are sick and tired of this. This is kind of pre-Reagan. So right before this, everything still sucks. Yeah. Everybody's broke. There's no future in sight. There's people that got money, but it ain't them. And they're just like, we need to express our art. So it was, you know, having, that's how you can have Black Flag play with fucking, um, you know, Flipper or the, uh, who did I just say? Um, the like screen, the Blasters or something. Yeah, the you know Blasters. What I mean? like, it wasn't, it wasn't <coughs> about... It's just a different context of what a scene was. And the Blasters were, I think they were from Norwalk. Downey. Or Downey. They're yeah. from Downey. Mm -hmm. And so they were like real outcasts from the Hollywood scene. Because this, this was a very Hollywood. Yeah. This was an, a, a non-Hollywood Hollywood scene. Because there was still stuff happening down the street. Well, because it was, it was like the, the late 70s. You're talking when it's like... It's like, uh, what's his name? Um, Rodney. Like Black Randy. Black Randy and the oh. Metro Squad. All the mask stuff. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think the Go-Go's maybe played there before it closed. You, know, that you got the Screamers, which they weren't even from L.A. They just adopt, uh, L.A. adopted them. They're from San Francisco? Um, yeah, I think yeah. so. And originally, they're from the, uh, the Northwest. Right, right, right. I think they have some ties with the Wipers. Um, but... You have the germs, you have like, you know, really the bands that are just creating this whole thing. And it's more about the statement than any musical prowess or technical abilities. Because even like the Screamers, I mean, they they could play. To me, they're kind of like, they remind me kind of of Suicide, maybe because of the keyboard. But yeah, because it's just, they didn't even have a guitar player. It's more about like putting on a performance where yeah. it was like way more artistic than just you know like what whatever i love the circle jerks but the circle jerks are just about playing fast fucking punk rock music right they didn't care about this that or the other you know um but anyways i think once you got post mask now you have places like blackies and the madam wong's all these places there was the music machine on the west side uh so more venues come about because there were more bands to fill them. Um, and then you had all the bands from the beach coming, which supposedly ruined the scene, which was like the Black Flags, well, yeah, the they, Circle Jerks, they because credit, they brought they credit all these the, jocks. They credit the OC scene. What was the, what was the, what was the OC venue that had the, the Cuckoo's Nest? The clouds in the background? Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest. Nest. Like that scene birthed 
the and I don't mean the people who just stopped by to play there. I mean the scene that was birthed out of it. Yeah. That's supposedly the the kill, you know, that's what killed the original real punk rock. And that's the scene that I grew up in because of my age. Yeah, like Sowell and yeah. DI, the adolescent. Like that's when it got violent. That's when shows started getting violent and people started fighting. And it was like the jock people were you know, there's like that scene in suburbia where they strip that girl right in the pit and it's like all that <laughs> stupid shit that's happening. Like and it's it you know, looking back on it, a lot of it was pretty fucking stupid. Like But a lot of those bands are great. The bands are great. Albums. But I rem- and I you know, I was I was talking to someone about this not so long ago. It's like there were so many shows I have been to that I don't remember being at, or I just remember getting there and going straight to the pit. But when you're in the pit, you're not paying attention to what's actually happening on stage. You're just flowing with the, you know, track by track by track, taking a break. Yeah. It's just angst and energy. It was fun, but there's a lot of bands that I, I, I kind of wish I had paid attention to like what was actually happening on stage and like really appreciating what I was there to witness because I took a lot of it for granted because we lived here and we had access to it. It was like a, it was a weekly, if not daily happening out here in LA and adjacent Orange County, you know, areas. We can go to a show pro- pretty much every night of the week mm-hmm. if we really wanted to. And my friends and I, we'd go to, sh- I've, if I wasn't at a show every week, I was at two, you know, it wasn't like I had a week where I didn't go to a show. And mm-hmm. sometimes they were just little backyard parties that had bands, you know, or we would see yeah, bands in living something. Room. Yeah, Some it was band. always something happening. And I think when you're so, when it's just like nonstop happening, you know, it's like we had... We didn't have Coachella. We didn't have Lollapalooza until, you know, Lollapalooza didn't have until 91, I think. We had our weekly local scene. And because we were there every week, day in, day out, listening to these bands, listening to these records, trading, talking about it. It's like, it's not because we didn't appreciate it. It was because it was just so easily accessible to us that sometimes you would take it for granted that you were at a show that, you know, I, 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 I'll name lineups of shows that I've been to and other you know, young, younger kids are just like in awe. And I'm like, it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> like, you know, like mm-hmm. having a, a game face sublime, no doubt lineup was not that big a deal. Or the Chili Peppers, Beastie Boys, X, Rage Against the Machine, Cypress Hill. Like those were like the norm for us, you know, and it's. It's like, yeah, the Orange County scene may have ruined a couple of the aspects of the live shows that the original bands would complain about, but it birthed so much music. You know, we 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 had tons and tons of bands that came out of here that would from going, you know, from from the Chili Peppers being the big bands to being able to play with them, some of these bands, you know, or like, what was that? What was that epitaph? Those those nights that had like, was it off to the races or something like that? We did it a couple times, you know, a couple like, different times, <clears throat> and it would be like ten bands in one night mm-hmm. at the Palladium or something like that. It's like that shit is like unheard of in other markets. Like I don't know of any other city that, aside from maybe New York, 
But I don't know of any other city that can like produce that much activity in one night. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's a, it's. I mean, it, it always will be too. Like, just one of those places that has such a rich, um, musical, you know, background that it's uh, it's just more prevalent to have shit like that happen. But the stuff that was happening that was groundbreaking back then having your you know your just such diversity of builds this like it was just so much more daring back then you know it was like daring to put together a bill that you you might not know who's going to come right but people are going to come and that it demanded a little bit more out of the audience meaning that hey, you have to have a little bit more of an open mind. Um, you can't be like, you know, it's almost like how nowadays, like, you know, comparing like just say things that you see in cinema. Like I think when movies really started getting over the hump of like the big 1960s, you know, or even 50s, they were blockbusters, but they weren't like blockbusters, like like how Star Wars changed the game and everything. But there was movies like, you know, like Cleopatra mm-hmm. or everything was so grand and so big. And I mean, the fucking movie was like two and a half to three hours long and had an intermission in the middle. It was like an event. Yeah. Um, and then you just have all these little stories. You have a lot of good Alfred Hitchcock movies, you know, coming through there and a lot of other, you know, directors that I can't think of right now. I'm not a big movie buff, but... Um, then you get into the seventies where you start seeing stuff from like, you know, Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, um, you have your French, you know, uh, like what's, I can't pronounce his name, Truffaut or I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. Truffaut. Um, and then even before that, like your, uh, what's his name? Cassavetes and, uh, um, I was just watching it. Roger Corwin. Is that his, or not Corwin? Gorman. Gorman. Um, but anyway, I just so watched like, the Cassavetes movie the other day. The the woman the under the in, woman under the influence. Oh yeah, that's good. Such a good fucking movie. Like, but like that's a perfect <laughs> example. So that movie, like, if you try to sell a movie like that today, everyone would laugh you right out the door. Yeah. Because what's the premise? It's fucking like nothing. It's like a sentence, but. Because the writing and the way that it was filmed and the, obviously, I mean, you have a good actress. You have Ellen Bernstein. Uh, no. She's not the one? Jenna Rollins. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I get no. them confused. Jenna about. Rollins is Nick Cassavetes' wife. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like in those movies too, they have certain scenes where the camera's not fucking moving. And yeah. you're like. Captivated. You're engaged. Nowadays, that's, I mean, I don't even like going to the movies. The fucking camera doesn't know how to shut up. And I know that doesn't make sense, but to me it does. Because it just doesn't stop fucking moving. It's the the attention span. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But also, it's like, it's the attention span, but also deeper than what is not holding the attention is that fucking bullshit storyline. You know what I mean? And, And I think it plays into the the under or the misunderstanding that people aren't smart enough to 
gather what the story's trying to tell you without blatantly spelling it out for you. Mm-hmm. Like you watch a woman under the influence and unless they give you like if that movie was made today, she would have to have a labeled, you know, uh, prescription prescription or diagnosis for you to understand what this influence that she's under is like mm-hmm. back then you could just watch it get the sheer raw emotion of her and peter fox performance like peter fox is amazing performance mm-hmm. you know his performance is fucking insane. and then you just desperately trying to take care of her and she well yeah because she's kind of crazy she's yeah. like she's you know she's got like i don't want she's not schizophrenic but she's got some kind of mental thing and she's like probably <clears throat> bipolar yeah yeah and but like the the imagery the like the casting is great the story is great and it's like it's kind of like the way these albums and these shows were made back then too it's like oh well, yeah you don't you don't have to have everything spelled out for you and like mm-hmm. exine and john doe's writing is like poetic so there's they're not giving you the clear indication of what exactly it is. It's like it's a poet's version of how to, uh, you know, relate to life. Well, it's that because they had like, you know, even X. I mean, they're after this record comes out on Slash, like they eventually get to a point. I don't know which one. The first four records they made were produced by Ray Manzarek. And mm-hmm. that's another reason why, to me, I can find songs on all four of those records and just make one super record out of it because they all kind of sound the same. Yeah. Even the song writing itself, like it just sounds like one long record to me when I when I dissect it. But it's because it has the same producer, this, that, and the other. But basically, what I'm trying to get to is there was a certain point where X never got really big, but I'm sure they had enough of a of a budget once they started touring and everything, where they were working with professional equipment. It wasn't like they were recording in garages. I mean, they have fucking Ray Manzarek producing their album. Yeah, they're in somewhere. They're using top-notch equipment, just like John Cassavetes is fucking not making movies on a fucking Super Eight. He's you know he's using the fucking gold standards of the time. But yet, what was his uh, canvas? But the fucking streets. You know, it's like just like an X, and back then, like the Dead Kennedys were really integral in starting the whole network of touring across back and forth the states. You know, DOA was doing it. Black Flag learned how to do it. They get championed a lot more than anybody else, probably because they did more. But it was really like supposedly like Dead Kennedys were the Pied Pipers along with DOA. And then everyone else followed suit. Yeah. Um, but in a sense, I think of the films a little bit earlier because a little bit earlier in the 70s and the music in the late 70s of like punk rock, the origins of it. Um because the New York scene wasn't really touring. I don't think the Dictators and... I mean, the Ramones did some tours, but I think it was a little later. It wasn't like the bands in L, on the West Coast that were the ones that were going yeah, everywhere. I think, I think the Ramones toured during, during the development of like the... This because I think they I think they talk about it in that book that they all went to go see the Ramones at the Whiskey. Mm. The Ramones played the whiskey, but that wasn't like. But I mean, even thinking about them, like the Ramones coming and playing the whiskey, that's you're already coming to the place. Yeah, in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's not like fucking the Dead Kennedys going and playing 
in some fucking basement in fucking Columbus, Ohio. No, no, yeah. Like they didn't have to do that. Yeah. You know. They didn't. Um and they're not on these small labels like Danger House. Like Ramones already came out on Sire. Yeah. Not to take anything away from them, you know. But the point I'm trying to make is that it took like they t- regardless if they knew they were pioneering anything because they took those chances to like I mean, you got to be bold in any kind of artistic approach when you when failure is a much bigger chance than succeeding. Like you already think about it, like visually you're walking in and it's like, this is what I want to do. Here's your little window of success with this giant wall of failure. Yeah. in front of you and you still have the courage to still say fuck it let's go for that little fucking window <laughs> you know that takes a lot of courage and a lot of the filmmaking back then was doing that and that's what makes it so special and yeah there was that uh ifc had put that thing out called the decade under the influence yeah, yeah that's great that's <clears> how it's i learned about a lot of those movies yeah it's all about like those are all indie films mm-hmm. easy rider and almost Five every single one of those actors turned into like Academy Award winning yeah. like legends. Yeah, yeah. And what what's his name? He just passed away. Uh, Peter Fonda. Mm. But him and John um, Jack Nicholas, they made all Dennis that. Hopper. Dennis Hopper, they made all that shit like like all independent. Francis Coppola. Well, one of the biggest ones too, and they show in that movie is the the car scene the car chase in french connection was like a lot of that was unscripted and it was like done guerrilla style where it wasn't like like now yeah oh we're gonna film fucking uh in downtown la okay let me get fucking four motorcycle cops to fucking block the street off and then let's put some fake shit in it's like it's so contrived and it's so and they have like better cameras to work with they can chop it up in post they can add this how many car scenes are filmed with just a green screen you know yeah once that became the the industry standard you also can look at everything you do now on a playback system where back then this shit was shot on film they were they couldn't see it till they developed it. Exactly. Look, you know, the car scene in bullet go back and look at dailies fucking (laughs) everybody could have died on that movie set. You know everybody but that they took the chance and were and because it's like it's giving the like I, I think the way I see it is like you have an first you have to have the idea and then you have to have the logic, the logistics to put that idea into some kind of fruition. And sometimes it's spot on with what you thought sometimes it isn't that's how you have people like a stanley kubrick that's going to spend fucking you know three weeks trying to get the right lighting because it's like nah i have this in my head i want this this is how it's it's taking that fucking work you know um there was one i just finished reading that book the part two of the book you got it for me for my birthday this year the it was probably one of the easiest quickest reads that i've had in a while where i was almost kind of like bummed out when I was, when when I was getting close it. to finishing it. Cause I'm like, <laughs> fuck man, this is part two. Like it's over. The, um, more fun in the new world. Yeah. But it's cool right? because, yeah. and I, honestly, I'm not, I'm not a huge reader. I could read, I mean, I'm reading a Steely Dan book right now, which, you know, 
and I'm not reading it to put myself to sleep. <laughs> I'm actually excited about it. Um, but I like the that book because it's it's kind of an unconventional book where it's just every chapter is a different testimonial from someone from that scene. Yeah, and that's the, the first book, the Under the Big Black Sun, is the same style. So it's like the editor from Slash Records or Slash Magazine, he writes a little chapter. Yeah. John Doe writes every other chapter. And then you've got like Jane Weedland writes a chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one has an interview with John Doe interviewing Fishbone. He's like talking to Norwood oh, wow. Fisher. And you know what was crazy? I was just telling Monique the other day because there's so many people um, – Every, every once in a while when I meet someone that's from Los Angeles or at least grew up in the Los An- greater Los Angeles area that's around my or our age, you know, the younger end of like the last, I guess, uh, wave of the gener- Generation X. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I always ask them, do you remember MV3? Nobody remembers it. And then I'm reading the book. And Norwood Fisher is talking about, yeah, that's how we learned about two-tone, like the specials and the English beat, like seeing it on MV3. And I was like, fucking thank yeah. you. It's in print. Somebody like, remember. It didn't that was, get lost. You know? that like, was, that's where Richard Blade came Richard from. Richard Blade, Poor Man, and one other VJ, a yeah. girl VJ. And then Richard Blade went to... K-Rock? K-Rock. Well, he was on MTV too, wasn't he? Wasn't he? On and then MTV he went to MTV guy? for a little bit, but that girl went to MTV. It wasn't what's her name, was it? What, what's I can't the remember who the girl one? was. I can't remember. It was like a long um, time ago. But MV3 was the shit because I was pre MTV mm-hmm. music video. And didn't they have live like mimicked, mimed live, like almost like Top of the Pops? They did. Yeah, they it did. Was right. Like, I remember that's the first time I saw the studio. They had in studio performances. Yeah. And but videos mm-hmm. like really fucking like early. That's I remember the mirror on the bathroom video. Yeah. Um, the oh, you know what? One I forgot to talk about. Um, we already finished it. And this isn't going to make any sense if anyone doesn't listen to the Madonna one we just did. <laughs> but um, from Wham's Max- first album, too, kind of remind Wham. Wham. Their first album. The Wham UK, the like Tropicana. Uh huh. Yeah. That reminds me of some of that stuff too. Well, some of just the lighter... George Michael in general, too. Yeah. He's on par with that whole Prince Madonna yeah. kind of stuff, too. Yeah. But, anyways, um, well, what remind me to translate that to cat, just that little part for this one. If you heard the Madonna <laughs> episode, Meow Donna. It was Meow Donna. We did a remix, we did a cat meow mix. Yeah, it's closed captioned. <laughs> I want to get on this tangent again. <laughs> fucking cats. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, but thinking about like just the reading that book, getting back to the book. So I just finished that book. Um, the cool thing about it was because we grew up and you know going to some of those places. We're still around, you know. Well, you played Hong Kong Cafe. I played it. I played it like Raji's yeah. and Hong Kong Cafe, and you know, but it was just cool because reading it, like, I would get, like, I felt like I was there. Yeah. Like even when they're talking about the valley, like they're talking about the country club. Like I remember going there. Yeah. Not to like the big hardcore shows because they used to have tons of hardcore shows there, uh, like Bad Religion and you know Instead, all those bands. But uh, what I'm trying to get back to in that book. There's this girl 
that she, her testimonial or whatever, I guess she's a filmmaker. She made this film with um, Chris from The Divine Horseman, and I guess John Doe was in it. I can't remember the name of the film right now, but it was like a guerrilla-style film. She went to UCLA Film School. Um, but the at the end of her like little vignette or her testimonial, she's saying that something to the effect like she feels like with the advent of the internet, it basically like it kind of killed the idea. Like it, like it didn't allow, it doesn't allow the gestation period for creativity to, to come about the way that back then it's like she wanted to make a movie. So it's like, how do I make a movie? Well, fucking go figure it out. And then I want to film this. I want to like, they had to like put so much more effort and, and use their brains and, you know, figure things out. Like it wasn't just, Oh, you know, I just, let me just push this button. I got a backlight or let yeah. me do this. Like you had to actually think about the time of day. If you're going to shoot outside, um, if you didn't have a location manager or you had no money, you had to go fucking do it on the fucking hush, um, and be ready to run away at the sign of cops. Like there was just all these extra elements where, if you got it, like if you got what you were looking for, it just w- it just meant that much more. The accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. and also getting like I there. feel like suburbia was filmed that way. Yeah. Well, they filmed it in those. Remember, we used Norwalk. to drive by those houses. Yeah, those abandoned houses on the side of the freeway. I'll never forget seeing that movie too, and it was just like, what? Like I've been seeing those fucking those off boarded up houses for like my well, whole life. Because that's where they built the one hundred and five. Mm-hmm. Those were all those. I remember seeing those my whole the, life, and then <clears throat> oh, there's a movie that takes place in them. Yeah, and it was just like this is, f-. and that that's what made it more like kind of like reading that book. Like it just made it more real. Like it made it hit home, and then it makes it special because you're hearing firsthand of the people that created it, and yeah. it was for the most part, it was all people that were like. Not rich kids. No. You know, they were just kids that were like, that had fucking ideas. They had art. They had uh, aesthetics. And they had like, uh, you know, right before the real reason to start getting pissed off, which was Reaganomics, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like getting back to talking about X and like their first four albums, which were Los Angeles, The Wild Gift, Under the Black Sun. Or under the big black sun. Under the big black sun. And uh, more fun in the new world. To me, they all kind of sound the same. Again, same producer. But like more fun in the new world, that's total like, okay, Ronald Reagan's in office now. Yeah. Um, But they still didn't do it to like, it was still their writing. It wasn't like, like, oh, now you have a band straight up called Reagan Youth. You know, yeah, which that was cool and all too, whatever. Like people, a lot of the a lot of the the hardcore that was spawned out of the Reagan stuff was all you know. I mean, I was I was of age, wasn't into politics, but I understood, I understood the the source of it. But prior to that stuff happening, and I guess I didn't really think about it this way when while the time was happening. But like I've always been jealous of. The kids that got to grow up in New York for the 
you know, the the birth of their scene, like the CBGB scene, like Blondie, Talking Heads, television, you know, even the Ramones for that matter, and like the Velvet Underground going back to the, you know, earlier stuff, the 60s and late 60s. And like after reading that book, it's like that's what X kind of is to us. Mm -hmm. Like X is our, X is like our Velvet Underground, our Blondie, and our television all wrapped up into one. They're mm-hmm. not our Ramones, but they're those like the arty, you know, talking head stuff. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I was a fan from the first time I ever heard them. And I remember they played, um, they played the Velodrome. It was like a big show at the Velodrome. It was like, I think it was like Rage, Cypress Hill, and Beastie Boys were like the, I think Beastie Boys might have been the headliner. Mm-hmm. And it was like Rage and Cypress Hill opening. But X was one of the earlier bands that played that day. And I w- I just made it a point to be there to see them. And some of my friends were like, I don't want to go that early. I don't want to see that band. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like mm-hmm. a homegrown, original L.A. punk band. Like, yeah. how could you not want to see that? Like, mm-hmm. And like they kind of never made that mark of being that significant to even the people who grew up my generation Mm -hmm. you know like i feel like they just kind of i don't know what made them get lost in the shuffle like why aren't they this like major important thing because you could see exine in silver lake for years she had a shop Mm -hmm. on sunset boulevard Mm -hmm. you know john would be around town you still see keith morris walking up and down the streets and Mm -hmm. you know he was djing at cha-cha a few nights like back in you know even Mm -hmm. just six years ago you'd see him literally just walking down the street his dreads like all the way down, you know, to his waist. And it's like, these are fucking like incredible people mm-hmm. that created this fucking scene that everyone built their lives on. You know, like the Chili Peppers owe everything to these bands. They owe everything to I wonder to these kinds of bands. I wonder though, like if people in New York at that time or whatever, or even people like our age that that came about a little bit later that were connected to their origins of what happened in New York. But if they have a different fondness for LA, the way we hold New York, because if you think about it too, like besides like the talking heads and Blondie, a lot of those original bands that came out of CBGBs, none of them got really big. Television didn't get big. Yeah. Dead boys didn't get big. The Ramones should have been huge and they never, it just never happened. What was the, what was the band the Dead Boys came? What was the band after Dead Boys? After? Yeah. Well, I mean, Stiff Baders was in Lords of the New Church. Lords with, of the New uh, Church. Like, they're bigger than the Dead Boys. Yeah. You know. Um, but the I don't think the New York people, I don't think they even think of, you know which band would be the one? The breakout band mm. of this scene is the Go-Go's. They're yeah. the break. They're like the Blondie kind of. Yeah, they but started like even, out punk. But even more, but even bigger than Blondie. No, but I'm saying that like in comparable where like Blondie played with all those bands. Yeah. But they broke out, but they were like a pop band. Yeah. Because like the Talking Heads are, they, they were pop, but they were their own thing. Because they were just the weirdos. Yeah, they're like too um, weird to be pop. But like, well, because, you know, then you got to think about the whole like, there's then when you get to subdivisions of LA, you get like the cowpunk scene, which is like fronted by like the blasters 
and then X had an offshoot with the knitters, which goes even that far back. You had like, not really that, but kind of borderline was like the plugs, like Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs was like kind of bluesy, kind of rootsy. Mm -hmm. And then you get the Gun Club, the Long Riders, um, the uh, Lone Justice, like all these, you know, like kind of like, well, the fucking, you know, Peter Case, like the nerves turning into the plimsolls, you know, like these roots, like acts kind of. Yeah. And then there's the whole like resurgence or just. Wait, the plimsolls aren't from here though, right? Yeah. That's Are Peter they? Case. Yeah. From LA. Oh, I saw it was the plimsolls, the three o'clock and the blasters at John Bosco. Mm. See, and then, yeah, the three o'clock. <laughs> That was like the Paisley, uh, the Paisley Underground, which was like, who's all part of that? It was like the, the three o'clock. Um, what are some like the Dream Syndicate, like Steve Wynn? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The Bangles, you know, yeah. Bangles got huge too, even though they came from that. Another band that came from the LA scene back then Bang? was the Motels. The Bang. Oh, the Motels. They were they were in the studios down the hall. So like at one point. The Germs, X, the Motels, and I can't remember the fourth band were all recording in the same studio mm. at the same time. Like that's a crazy fucking yeah. like difference of you know different bands. But the Bangles, they used to be called the Bangs. Yeah, their biggest hit, written by Prince. Yep, exactly. <laughs> like how crazy is that? Like who would ever think that a band like the Bangles, like Manic Monday? What's crazy is, and the, what's so funny is like. I never, I mean, I didn't know that right off the bat, obviously. But then when you hear that, it's like, it's a fucking Prince song. Like, it's yeah. like you can hear him sing It sounds that. like it could be off of the Around the World. Around the World, yeah. Um, or, or yeah, Around the World. It's probably one of those. Like Raspberry Beret. It's like yeah. that. Um, it's like, because I'm watching that R. Kelly thing. I forgot that he wrote that song for Michael Jackson, um, You Are Not Alone. That sounds exactly like I, I believe want to I fly. Can fly. I want to arrive. It's I the believe same song, the same like chord progression melody. Um, I didn't know he wrote that for Michael Jackson. Yeah, it's crazy. Now I'm hearing it in my head. Now uh-huh. you're ruining, you're ruining oh, Michael Jackson. For me. <laughs> <laughs> I need a meow mix version. Well, they have both of those alone. guys have a lot of other things in common too. If you think about it. Yeah. But anyways, sadly, uh, we'll translate that to snake for <laughs> for all you snake fans out there. Put on your boots. Go to the snake pit on Melrose. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, what was it? What were we saying? We're talking, we're talking about, about the Bangles. Oh, the Bangles. So I have this this album that I got. I picked it up because it had like a uh, first. I like the cover. It's called Saturday Night Pogo. It's a compilation album. I turned it around and it's like all LA bands. Like it has the Dills. It has the Berlin Brats. It has. Um, the motels, um, and then a lot of other just like nobody bands. The reason why I got it was the Berlin Brats. That's Rick Wilder. He, um, I've always is been it Gene Wilder's son. <laughs> it is. Yeah, his 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 maiden name's Radner. It's Gilda <laughs> Radner's uh, illegitimate child, Sarah Live Love Child. But no, um, because the movie Up in Smoke. I'll never forget uh, one of my favorite parts of that movie. 
to the point where I would just watch this certain segment. It's when they go to the, the rock, rock fest, a rock they fight play at the Roxy. Yeah. Um, and it's like the battle of bands or whatever. And it's the Dills, the Berlin Brats. And there's the last band. They're called the Whores, which I've never found. It's the one that it looks like you playing drums. It looks like Jeff Goldblum on the drums. Fuck you. With this guy with the little ass dun, shirt. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Not that band. <laughs> no, but um, I'll never forget when I found... Uh, because I remember watching that movie and then seeing the end credits, it shows the bands. And I was like, fuck, I, I just wish I could find. Like, I want to hear. Is it the one I want to go to buy school? I want to yeah, go to my school? Yeah, that's the whores. But I've never I like found. That, that I've never one. found anything by them. Yeah. But I found the Dills. Uh, I found a single and it's the songs that they play on the movie. Um, and then I would watch that movie over and over and just try to remember like there's there's a band called the puke there's a band called the nuns like all these things you know and the nuns the guys that's was, where what's his name from uh or javier escovedo's from that's one, what? one of the guys in that he kind of had like a dave vanian look in the movie that's the band the i want to go to bicycle that's the horse that's him yeah and there was a girl with like Just sunglasses dancing, dancing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's the band that i've never found anything by but i found the dills and i found rick wilder the berlin brats which they just look and sound like a second rate Rolling Stones in the movie, but that song's great. Mm. But anyways, that Saturday Night Pogo, it's just, it's like all like L.A. like what bands label? you never heard of. What like, labels it on? It's not know. like Slash or anything big. I don't think it's on Danger House. Or it's it's on something, but oh, so you know what Danger House is? Mm. Danger House is where the Gun Club lived. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's in the it's in the book. So the Danger House was the mm. apartment that. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Lee, Lee Pierce. Jeffrey Lee Pierce lived in. Huh. It was the Gun Club house, and that was the nickname for it. It was the Danger House because you never knew what could happen to you or what. Yeah. You know, people just partied till they blacked out, kind of a thing. Mm. And then they ended up starting Danger House Records. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's interesting. It's like those. I mean that that book has so much cool shit in it. Like yeah. The first part, part one of the the Under the Big Black Sun and and, and like. The recollection of the things like when he's I think there's a chapter we're desperate. It's mm. all about them, you know, having to move in and out of places and like Well in the and then have you seen the unheard music? Yeah. It's like the feature That's the X that they show them X. like I think they're like living in Venice at the time. Maybe, um, yeah. And uh just you know because I think that's where Billy Zoom lived. Mm. I think he was a Venice local. Well, I think and if I'm not mistaken, I think the only one that's originally from at least California is DJ Bonebreak. I think everyone else is from the Midwest. Uh, yeah, I originally. Think, or is Xene from the East Coast? I don't know, but I know that she uh, might be Billy from. Zoom was oh from no, you like know what? Indiana. I think she's from Florida. I Maybe. think I don't know. <clears throat> um, but but no, but you're right though. Like it's it's like. Nobody, nobody held just that whole L.A. culture and what they did for music in any kind of regard in comparison to, like, what everything else is. New York know? and London. Um, and uh, it is un unfortunate, but at the same time, it's like I, I was in reading that book, too, like X is talking about 
like in hindsight, like, man, like, you know, we, we, cause they, they got supposedly, they got good record reviews for all their stuff. Mm. Those first four records, they were getting good acclaim and this, that, and the other. And then they get to, um, the fifth record. I don't know what it's called, but at this point they're already on Electra. Um, first time they worked with a different producer, bigger budget, obviously this, that, and the other. They didn't like the record at all. They did a small faces cover that they didn't want to do the cover of all or nothing, which is one of my favorite songs by small faces, but they didn't like it. They didn't want to do it. They did a cover of it, um, reluctantly, but apparently that record is the one that like made the biggest dent in the industry for them. And they said that they don't even play any of those songs. That made the biggest. Yeah. Because it sold the most, they got the most chart like hits or whatever. Like, I think some people probably think of X that don't know about them and they're going to know their cover of wild thing, which is God awful. Um, the only time I ever hear that song is if I'm fucking like watching TBS and the music, the movie, uh, major league. Major comes league on. Yeah. Um, and it's bad, you know, it's like, that isn't what X should be remembered for, but yet they, you know, like, but then I read a quote about John Doe where he's talking about like talking to other people, talking to Blondie, talking to the Bengals. And they're saying like, man, it's not all cracked up to to be in that circuit now because like Blondie, yeah, they play country fairs now or county fairs. Same with the Bengals. And they play like retro like shows because they had hits, but they're not like, you know, they're not a band with that longevity. Like you ever see, you ever see the Saban theater calendar? Yeah. Like it's like the zombies and this, and it's like bands that had huge hits, but it's like, you know, those guys probably don't want to be playing at that place, like, <laughs> you know, but they're probably doing it. Cause it's like, well, fuck you want to make, you want to pay your bills for a few months or what yeah. do you want to do? You know? So X is making this point of like, we never even got to that level. How did that happen? Like what yeah. happened? And then they're saying that they're talking to other people and being like, well, kind of consider yourself lucky because it's not at all. It's cracked up to be, to be the fucking, you know, like here it is. You got your taste. You were on top you fucking won Grammys or this, that, and the and other. Now you're, now you're old and you're playing fucking at the LA County Fair. Yeah. Like, that, that is not glamorous. Yeah, that seems like a kick in the nuts. Like, I saw the Sonics, um, I think at the Roxy? I think they did play there, yeah. And it was kind of sad. Yeah. It was like a sad sight. Like, I was all excited and I was like, when I was there, uh, that excitement... <laughs> left my body quickly <laughs> and it just turned into like fuck like yeah that's you know. man i i would never like i don't even go to shows like i think the last and i was kind of like like ah, i don't know but like when we went and saw the replacements that was good um it wasn't like super spectacular but it was pretty fucking good i have to say i think i think i think but not, I'm always afraid. I think not having really gotten into them when I was younger helped me appreciate that show because they also played. They didn't fuck around. They played. Like, they're, yeah. they're notorious for fucking around. Oh, yeah. And the only thing that they really did that was kind of foolish was they came out in tents. Like, yeah. They had to still put their little flavor on it. But they played a great 
yeah. gig. They played the songs straight. You but know, see, the that other, was a fun fucking show. The other hitch too was like we got in for free. Like I don't know oh, if I yeah. would have paid fifty dollars. Yeah, it's I hard. I would pay fifty dollars for anything unless it's like <laughs> like something at like the shit. Hollywood Bowl. Because you could see anybody at the Hollywood Bowl and it's going to be fucking like, there's going to be some kind of entertainment value there because yeah. you're you're in the fucking... I, I got to tell you, I went to Ty Siegel last week. He played one of the best shows I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I've seen him a few times, but this lineup, the way that they've got it arranged this time, mm-hmm. fucking incredible. The opener, if that person played the Hollywood Bowl, I'd shoot myself in the face. Mm. This was the worst. There's zero entertainment value <laughs> of this person. I'm talking snooze fucking fest. <laughs> she couldn't fucking get cats to meow at her in an alley. And I was, I literally was just, kitties? <laughs> I was literally just stunned in amazement of how garbage this was. Where was it at? At the Terragram. Oh. And who was it? I don't even know her name. I hope I, I hope I erase it from my memory. But Elijah was there. Elijah took mm-hmm. his girlfriend, and my friend came with me. And I was just like, I, "Please shoot me in the face." Yeah, it's sad when you're, when you're begging people to shoot you in the face at a show. But man, it was fucking terrible. Good luck to that person, whoever that person was. No, bad luck to them. <laughs> um, but I remember. I saw I saw X. Um, it was a benefit for Barbara Boxer at the there. Palladium. Uh, it was like X and the Blasters and probably fucking Firehose. I sh- I still don't like Firehose to this day. And they just happened to be on so many of those big bills. It was like annoying after a while. It was always something where it was like, oh, special guest. And I remember I remember going one time. We went to see we went to see the Beastie Boys at the Palladium. And um, it was like special guest. Um, so like we we're making up all these rumors of who it was going to be. And it was fucking Firehose. I just remember being like, oh, my God. Fire Isn't Firehose Mike Watt and Fleet? No, it's Mike Watt. It's it's basically Mike Watt, I think George Hurley from the Minuteman, and just a different guitar player. Um, but Flea had a little... He might have played with him, but he wasn't in the band. in there. But I just didn't. I never liked him. Um but, Way to uh, go, Mike Watt! But at that at that show, I think it was Dave Alvin because also the Blasters were playing. But mm. I think he played because Billy Zoom was out of the band for a while. I think he became Christian or something weird and like left Billy Zoom, and he came back. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And then DJ Bonebreak wasn't in it for a while, and then he came back. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but like, I don't know. It's 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 kind of. It's kind of weird, like, in a way, I think, kind of like with, you know, talking about Prince again, like, in a way, a band not crossing over and being this big, huge, you know, thing, phenomenon that didn't have to compromise their core values because they didn't have to, like, sell, you know, millions of records. So right. they kind of kept their integrity. I think in a way that was a good thing, at least for those first four records, because to me, I don't really know much about X after that. Like the one I was just looking up the record after and I remember one song, The Burning House of Love. Uh-huh. 
But you know why I remember it is that it was um, a video. They made a video for it. producer is Michael Wagner, not not Wagner, but Wagner, mm-hmm. um, who produced Accept and Dokken. And oh he, yeah, he was like a he metal. Mixed, he he oh he produced Accept Dokken Skid Row. He was an engineer on Master of Puppets. Ain't Love Grand, that's the album. Ain't Love Grand, yeah. And then he also produced Motley Crue, Wasp, over... Like, this is a weird choice yeah, for him to to helm X's record. Well, not just him, but them. Like, I mean, Well, that's what I mean, yeah. He did... They probably got pressured by their label. Yeah, it's like, it's such a weird, weird choice for them to... Uh, and supposedly, that's the record that did the best for them out of all their records. I don't know how, because... I don't even remember buying it. I remember, you know, which one I remember is the one after that. The see how we are, see how we are. I remember that one more because that had Fourth of July, which Dave Alvin. This is when Billy Zoom left, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is when Dave Alvin came in, and they had more of a roots. Yeah, they go. They almost. They're almost in the. In like the, the what knitters? do you call it? The the knitters. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it's almost like a, it's almost a precursor to the knitters, but I remember that one. I remember having this CD or I think maybe, you know who I think had this? I think D had it mm. like D was really, he was into X more than I was. He really liked them a lot. Um, and I remember him having this and I was like, yeah, this is a better record than the one before. Like the one before just didn't make any sense. I didn't understand yeah. what the fuck was going on. But see, and that's just it. It's like. That's their best charting record. So in the eyes of the industry, that's where they're like, oh, okay, you guys, this is your fifth record. Now you're going to start coming into your own. They're probably thinking it's fucking about time, fifth <laughs> record. But it's like as far as like artistically, that was their first record of them not being true to themselves. Yeah. No, and they close. easily could have just turned into one of those shitty bands that doesn't even like that is no that that doesn't have their their dna in them anymore yeah um and that's not to say that because it's tricky it's tricky to be in a band for fucking you know years for one thing um and then to continue to write music to continue to evolve um as a unit of whoever your song you know whoever you're who's writing your songs there's usually it's like one or two people in the band um fishbone's a good prime example of a democratic band that that shit just went sour because they made it there was no like single vision that someone could have just taken the helms they let it too free and open and then they got to a point where it was just like it's fucking we have to make we have to spend so much more time making everybody happy and now we just kind of lost our connection to why we were doing this in the first yeah. place you know after um, that what is that give a monkey a brain that's the album that's just ugh. yeah um, is that the one right after the reality of my surroundings reality? yeah and that reality of my surroundings is like that's such a great effort and like I thought that that was going to be like a jump off to some. Like, well, that was supposed to be the record that broke them. Yeah, like some new. And the 
Yeah, well, because remember in the movie, they were leaving the ska sound behind. They kind of have their own sound. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that like in a way, a band that took <clears throat> that and ran with it and got huge was like Three Eleven. Yeah. Like, um, well, they took that and Sublime's kind of root and and took that and ran with it. Yeah, but th- to me, they sound more like because. Because they have a lot more going on. Yeah. Like Sublime's just three dudes. It didn't they didn't really have much, you know. Um, their whole thing too is just strange where they blew up with that really shitty recording, which is cool. I mean, that's cool for them, you know, like that it was just some little band, some little backyard party band out of Long Beach that, you know, fucking got world famous over some like almost borderline demo recordings. It's it is a demo. Yeah, it's the one of the worst sounding recordings, but I I still like um, it. Yeah, because it's the songs. Yeah, you know, it's about the songs. I still love it. But um, with uh, yeah, and like Fishbone was part of that whole scene too in L.A. But then see, I'm thinking it's making me think of like trying to think in context of Los Angeles and bands that kind of got ruined by their own hype is a band like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like to me, they they came from you know, that kind of second wave of, I guess, original Los Angeles punk because they were younger, but they were still playing a lot of the, they were old enough to still play some of the same places uh, with some of those same bands. Um, And yeah, they were like the kids on the block. Yeah. Because even Fishbone's older than them as far as like playing. I I think it was the, because I didn't even know who, who Gang of Four was, mm. but the one of the some of the first times I ever had seen the Chili Peppers, they they had apparently been a Gang of Four cover band, mm. or not necessarily a cover band, but that's that was their meat and potatoes was like covering Gang of Four mm. to yeah, get that fun. sound before they got into that like George Clinton, mm-hmm. you know, because their first record didn't have that funk element to it. As much as it. the as much as the second, like Freaky Styley. Well, that's George Clinton. Yeah, it's all that. Clinton. But the first record, you know, like Helicopter in the Sky, and and it had some of that. It had some of. It just wasn't refined. I think it was Flea that really brought that. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the, you know, like entertainment, like heavy bass influence, like kind of like stuff that that's I guess where they got that. And now you go back and listen to the first record the very first Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm like, oh, fuck, it sounds a lot more like Gang of Four than I would have ever thought of, but I didn't know Gang of Four at the time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you probably did, you just didn't know it was them, because the song uh, Man in Uniform, like, that was huge. That was huge in the, like, new wave versions of music, but, like, yeah. entertainment, like, those songs don't sound anything like Man in Uniform, to well, me. no, anyway. that's what I'm, but that's what I'm saying, no, you yeah. probably knew... Of them. Of them, yeah. You just didn't know. They were they weren't one of those bands where it was like like to me too, it was like like um like a band like Romeo Void. Um I knew that song. I heard that song a bunch, but I never knew that was the name of the band. Right. You know, there was a lot of those I bands. I saw in Romeo Void at Magic Mountain. That were like <laughs> what are they, you know? Yeah. I lo- I still like that Romeo Void, that that main song. I have the twelve inch. Mm-hmm. But that's such a good song. Like the 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 riff mm-hmm. and the recording of the guitar is so good. It's like I don't think they I don't ever heard one more song from them. 
Yeah. I don't know one other song by him, but it's um, such a good track. But so, yeah. So then thinking about like you know you have the Red Hot Chili Peppers, whatever. They have like a progression. Uh, you know, they get a different guitar player by Mother's Milk, and but they're still playing. They're still the same band. Like it's just like a fun party band, whatever. They're they're writing a little bit better songs, and then they put out the Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And then they have the ballad, you know, under the bridge or whatever, um, which is still played on the radio today. Um, and then after that record, like, and yeah, there's turmoil. Their fucking drugs are ruining the band. They lose their guitar player. They still keep the band together. But then, like, their output after that, where they just kind of like, I mean, they have an identity crisis in my mind where. It's like Dave Navarro is now playing in the band. Like, it's not always a good idea to have your friends be in your band just because <laughs> you need a guitar player. Like, on paper, maybe everyone's like, oh, this is going to be great. Fucking Jane's Addiction guitar player in the Red Hot. This is going to be the best. And then. That was the worst. Yeah. And then you listen to like a song like Californication. It's like, you know, that's fucking them probably either under someone else's influence or under the own, their own influence of their own hype where it's like, shit, we got to write a hit song now. Yeah. And how that became a hit song, the Calif- like, I don't know, whatever, uh, good for them. But it's like, they're not even what they were. And, but they, they seem somehow to still get bigger because they attracted just a whole different audience. Yeah, it's, it's funny that the, the new audience... Cause they 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 like dropped their old audience and gained double a new audience. Cause they went from yeah. the Palladium was their biggest venue. Yeah. They well, played, they played Long Beach Arena. They opened. No. Oh, did they? Did, were they, they had that? That I was one, at that. Where I they was have at that the, fucking show. Where they have the um. There's a film of it. Yeah, I was they, at that show. They, they headlined that. Did they headline? That was I the don't Mother's even, Milk fuck, tour. I don't even remember. Um, I was there with. Uh, with Stroud, Stroud and I went to that one, and I remember we we bought the cassette tape, mm. the video cassette tape of that show. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but they fucking sold out the Staples Center not too long ago, mm-hmm. like three or four years ago, and I just was like, the Staples Center. Like I I was at the Long Beach Arena show. I guess I didn't really think about that, but Staples is bigger than Long Beach Arena. Yeah, but it's still just like arenas for this band like this is a bar band and i guess the bowl or the greek would be a pretty decent venue for them you know their size whatever but like seeing them at the palace seeing them at the palladium like those those were much better shows like intimate small places and that's what i mean like by like what they turned into by getting to that point of like losing their identity and I mean, like they're they're played on like like their current stuff was like on, on regular fucking radio programming yeah. that was not like even like even trying to be like you know K Rock and somehow still exists. I don't even know what they play, um, but you know what I mean. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like they were they were when Indie One Hundred Three was out. It wasn't like their new stuff was coming on there. Their stuff was going straight to like Kiss FM or Star 98.7. And it's like like mom station. Like you guys used to fucking be edgy. Used to come out naked with the fucking sock (laughs) on your dick and get banned. And 
now it's like you're playing for fucking like you're you're not even like trying to be hip soccer moms like you're playing for fucking soccer mom you're at the soccer game you're at the soccer game you're at the match you're if your song is played in the same loop or whatever they call it segment as a Barbara Streisand or a fucking Celine yeah. Dion song, goodbye. If I'm at the dentist <laughs> and I'm reading, I'm picking up a, a fucking copy of Highlights <laughs> and I hear uh, Mr. Vasquez, Mr. Patrick, and then they had to cut the new Red Hot Chili Pepper single off of Coast 103. <laughs> it's like, you just ain't fucking. Yeah, you are. I mean, that band is always going to be like, mean something to me for the times from my youth time i almost got a tattoo of them can you imagine that i'd be ashamed for my life um but yeah that's that's just they are just turned into some hot garbage and i guess i don't know like because thinking so thinking about like x like their first four albums like they could have turned into a parody of themselves they could have there's always and a point of any band's career any band that's been putting out music professionally and touring being part of the whole circuit whatever circuit they're part of there's an evolution to it there's a lifespan there's you know uh ebbs and flows whether creatively or output of whether they're touring not touring whatever um so you never really know they could have evolved into something really great they could have you know like another band that i could think of is like like what fucking green day turned into like are you kidding me? Like that has nothing They're to a Broadway do. show. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that's what it is. whatever, you know, who am I to judge or say, uh, what anybody like when they have opportunities and what they choose to do, but selfishly as a fan, it's like, yeah, I want my, I want the artists that I really love to not necessarily stay the same. I'd like to grow with them. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it's nice to be challenged, but I don't want it to be where it's just like, all right, I'm done with this band. You know what I mean? Like, I even think of like, like I love, you know, Led Zeppelin and I have their entire catalog, but obviously this was all post when they were existing, even though I was alive during, you know, from physical graffiti on. But if I was you know, a 20 something or even a teenager growing up with Led Zeppelin, I'm pretty sure by the time I got to in through the outdoor, I would have been out through that door and been like, well, I don't need to listen to them anymore. Cause this is disco. so soft and like, they went disco. I don't think they went disco. They had disco elements, but they just went soft, but they had to compete with the disco era. And so they were like, Hey, let's make a disco. Yeah. But really, <laughs> <laughs> the only disco song on that album is maybe Carousel Ombra. Like No, but you know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. They I know. they threw on the element because that was what's happening at the time. Like instead of like a Black Sabbath who gets heavier. That's what I mean. So they it's go, like that's a perfect that's a good example. Like Black Sabbath, they got big. They I'm sure believe their own hype. They have too much money. They're fucking doing too many drugs. But yet and they have some ebb and flow with some of their output. But they're still like, they're still Black Sabbath. Yeah, they're not like. I mean, you put on, and we'll we'll just talk about Ozzy Osbourne's Black Sabbath years. Yeah, you put on Never Say Die, and you put on the first Black Sabbath album. There's some differences, 
but it's still heavy. Heavy. It still has. It's still rock and roll. You put on fucking <clears throat> Led Zeppelin one and in through the outdoor. Not the same. And I'm talking just someone. It's like they they fucking took the air out of the fucking yeah. Zeppelin. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and in a lot of ways, bands will either allow that to happen to them. Or it's you never know. I mean, you have different personalities. You got, you know, as many books as that I've read, and you know, I've read stuff about the Who. I read Pete Townsend's book. I read uh, um, Mick Fleetwood's book. Like, it's a lot of shit that bands go through. You know, especially a lot of the bands where they have these careers that span so many decades, like. They grew up in that time. They were twenty somethings, and they had to deal with all these pressures and the uh, like stardom. And they have, they're trying to have families. They're trying to keep their marriages together. They fucking you know some of them get to certain points where they have to move to different parts of the world for tax shelters. And there's this, that, and the other. They go to jail, whatever. It's like, and in all that same time, you're still trying to be an artist yeah. and make good quality music. But then it's like, are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? You know, there's only certain artists that were like, like you take an artist and this is probably a really bad comparison because it's too, you're talking about, you know, I, I don't like the word genius. I think it's thrown around way too easily nowadays. But thinking back to like what that word even means to me, I can easily attach that to someone like Miles Davis. Like, the way I see Miles Davis's career, it's like he was one of those evolutionary artists that just kept fucking going forward and didn't look back. Yeah. Um, but that was a part of who he was to begin with. And, you know, like you either grew with him or you didn't. And there's there is one thing going back to thinking about Fishbone that I respect about them is in their movie. That movie, Everyday Sunshine, which is a really good documentary. I've seen it many times, and it's heartbreaking. It's sad for them because I was a big fan of them, too. I think at one point they were probably a band that i seen the most out of any other band. Until one point, I remember the last time I saw them, and I was just like, I'm never going to see them again unless <laughs> I just happen to be in the same room. Um, but Norwood Fisher's ch talking about like later in their career in that movie, and he's just like, yeah, we could easily just get on those big tour circuits and go play all the hits or we could keep being a democratic band and keep putting out music, but their, their world is shrinking because it doesn't have, you know, basically he's saying that they could just fucking cash in on their past, which a lot of bands do. Yeah. And a lot of bands, you know, like it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like giving up and doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and so I do respect that, you know, even though I don't listen to them anymore, I still respect that they just didn't play that card. And it's probably harder for them. In that movie, it ends up with Angelo moving back in with his mom. And he's like fucking, you know, 50-something years old. Like, yeah, that's got to be tough. Like, that sucks. He's broke as a joke. I I I really like that. I, I like watching a lot of those movies. Like, the one about Tribe was really depressing, too. It's like... It's such a weird thing because, like, you're so excited to watch, like, this stuff. And then when you really get down to 
a lot of the same a lot of the theme amongst these like documentaries is like there's not as been one documentary where it's just like all good all shit the theme. it's all it's like it's like trials and tribulations of like and and i think what we what we as an audience you know especially those of us who don't play music is we attach something to these people we we attach an expectation of these people that mm. we don't live their life we don't know what that life is like so when we hear these things you're just like oh but they're rich oh but they're this but it's like man you you don't even you, none of us understand like what that <clears throat> what that change is like when when you're hitting the stage when you're walking into a place and you're carrying your own equipment and you're playing a show to a little small crowd of people I'm sure there's still some kind of feeling you get from playing in front of those faces. But when you step onto a place where everything has been done for you, everything has been set, plugged in, you didn't touch a piece of your equipment until you're about to play the song. Like I'm sure that has a gravity on in and of itself. That's a complete, you know, level. It's, it's like this like stardom level in that world. You know what I mean? Like compare like to an actor, an actor gets a trailer an actor gets driven to set. An actor gets escorted to everything. An actor gets, you know, the sides of their lines handed to them before they step onto the scene and they have time to prepare and get into the headspace. Like when the bands do that. And so when the public just like disregards or just like completely shits on their on their output, not knowing what the fuck this person's going through. It sucks because we hold them because they put out something so great, something that we we held, you know, we put value on it. Like, we put value on the first four records. What the fuck happened to the fifth record? And then, you know what I mean? Like, as a as an audience, you get up in arms about it. And it's like, the band's just like, what the fuck do you want from us? We put out, how, it, you're lucky we put out four records mm -hmm. of this kind of caliber of quality, yeah. you know? And it's like, the bands, like, I think about the bands like, the people that we lost, young Janice, Jimmy, you know Jim Morrison, like how would they get ripped apart if they were still alive making you know music that we we would deem not worthy because of what we put value on? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like what what would it be like if these people were still alive? Like it's mm -hmm. almost better. Cause look what Elvis had to go through. Mm. Elvis did Vegas and got ripped apart by everybody. Well, just by <laughs> two of the people that you mentioned, like like Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix, were, I mean, yeah, they, they didn't even make it to 30. Um, they were already, like, kind of both already past the pinnacle of their career, mm -hmm. even though it was so fast. But it was because they were such a unique, like, talent that got turned into a commodity so fast. Um, and they like had all these expectations star. that they were already in their own way backlashing against it. Like Jimi Hendrix is like just refusing to play the hits because he's just like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, yeah. I don't want to play with my teeth. I don't want to do all the things you want me to do. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to be and grow as an artist. He becomes a circus act. Yeah. And same thing with Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison was like. Oh, you got to be confrontational. You got to do all these things, you know? And that's also like in a lot of ways the beginnings of all those things back mm -hmm. then. There was no other, you know, like they were almost they were like the catalysts for 
that type of, you know, behavior per se. Yeah. Um, but like you said something that made me think like uh, about what we're talking about, like going back to X where it's kind of cool in a way. Cause like how you're saying like, yeah, we like these first four albums and like what happened to the fifth one? Like, like as a, as a consumer, a fan, you get pissed off at the band for putting something out you don't like. But in this case, it's like, that album did better and reached more people, but their core audience was the ones that backed back away from it. Mm -hmm. But so did the band. So it's almost like X was never meant to be on that big stage because the people they connected to had a little bit more of a criterion for what they thought was good. Yeah. You know, like, like a fucking, you know, uh, what's it called? It's almost like comparing. Uh, trying to think of. Trying to think of a good analogy, which I, I can't right now, um, but. That to me makes me feel like okay, well, we're going. In, I'm going in the right direction with this band that they didn't even like it, so that makes me feel better, because then they don't have the. The, the potential of them turning into something that is just going to be god-awful is curtailed that much because they didn't even like it. But yet, that was their best work. Yeah, like like a band or something that I'm... Something that just made me think about this is like, if you listen, if you think about like Starship putting out We Built This City, mm-hmm. that's the same band that put out White Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Like... They had to drop the Jefferson <laughs> to mm-hmm. put out that trash. Yeah. <laughs> like, but we built this city. Probably their biggest hit. I mean, video, radio play. Yeah. I don't know if it was in movie soundtracks, but like just complete trash compared mm-hmm. to what Jefferson Airplane or what is it? Did they change it? Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, then just and then Starship. Just Starship, yeah. Right. So by the time they get to We Built the City, it's just Starship. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, man, don't Yeah, it's like, how do you even know that's the same act? It's crazy. Yeah, and like, you know, this is the same. And there wasn't even a personnel change, I don't think. It was all Uh, the same. There might have been minor ones. I I mean, it was Grace Slick and Jack Cassidy. Yeah, but those two were from Jefferson Airplane. Mm -hmm. Like, these two guys, these two people made, not guys, these two people made White Rabbit. And they fucking sing, we built this city. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's not even, it's beyond cringeworthy embarrassment. <laughs> but it's like, but the people who love that song, that new crowd of people that would never appreciate White Rabbit or couldn't understand, like, that's too mm-hmm. scary or weird for them. Like, they got, they probably made a million fucking dollars on that. On and that's that. what I'm saying. It's like, so you listen to a song as challenging at the time, like White Rabbit. It's like, wasn't much that was like that you have this like fucking it's almost like a i mean it's like a march but it's it's like a bolero it's a bolero it is bolero and you got these real haunting back you know like that song still affects me when i hear it like it does something to it 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 makes me feel uneasy in a way that i like almost in a way when you're like watching like 
like to me, like I'm thinking about like watching The Shining. Like I, I know this part's gonna fucking scare me, and I can't wait to it gets yeah, there. It's it does two things for me. It does the it does the like I don't know why it makes me feel uneasy, but in a good way. But it also it also does this thing where it's like it has the same it has the same like gut punch feel like when you're not high but you're like in the middle of a high like you just you you don't know where you're at in your high <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're just like okay i feel like shit like i'm on whatever different chemicals i'm on and your stomach doesn't feel well you're hungry but you can't eat you're thirsty but you don't want to drink anything and you're just sitting there smoking a cigarette and the cigarette tastes smoking like angel sh- dust yeah like the cigarette just tastes like shit that and song just, sounds like angel dust it's just yeah, it just has this like real guttural effect. It's like what they fucking did on that fucking track is so insane. Like her vocals haunt me, that bass and that bolero drum. Like that shit, like that's the fucking band that this motherfucker's made. We built this city. So I can't think of a we built this city equivalent for X. Like I think X Wild Thing. Uh, but it's a cover. Yeah. It's not like they wrote it. Yeah. But it's so still maybe. bad. It's it is bad, but it's not like they wrote Wild Thing. You know, and we built this city for rock and roll with the keyboards. And see, that's just it. Like, like so man, you think shit. about those two songs, White Rabbit, We Built the City. Um, same act, whatever. Uh like one of those songs has soul. And the other one does. So what is that saying that you have the masses can fucking just eat up one song like they're fucking eating fucking free fucking, you know, sandwiches from Philippe's. Yeah. Um, it's the one that has no soul. So what is that? To me, that's like the reflection of like the people like, you know, when you find someone that's like, for me, and it's not even that I have a list of bands that's like the, um, what is it called? Like if you're trying to weed someone out, like, okay, I'm going to see, like, I don't have a, I don't have like a, a list. It's just it's I, like a marker. Yeah. Like I love too much music. Yeah. To even have one. But like if I'm talking to somebody about music and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm giving them, I'm not giving them a benefit of the doubt because I'm not judging them. Yeah. But if they bring up some shit, oh, I judge. But if they bring up some shit like, like if they throw in like a Dave Matthews, that's the first band I was thinking of. And if if they say they like Dave Matthews, I immediately shut down and I'm like, this person doesn't know music. If they say Dave Matthews, I put a white wig on <laughs> and just hit them with the gavel. I'll be like, fucking judge. order in the court. Order in the court. I object. I object to your poor taste because. I'm sorry. A person who likes that music I'll start is, looking for the bailiff. is not a fucking music fan. And that's what I mean. And that's, yeah, that, that's the, that, those are what I do. But I never prejudge. I should say I don't judge. I shouldn't say I don't judge. I do judge, but I don't prejudge until they bring up some bullshit like that. Unless they're wearing a fucking hoodie and the blowfuck shirt. I know. I'm like, Hurry, hoodie and the blowjobs. If you got, if you step to me with some Dave Matthews bullshit, I my ears close, my brain immediately puts you in a category of 
dumb fuck that doesn't know anything. Or fish. Oh, I like <clears throat> fish. Hey, you know your, what? Your boy Ed loves fish. He doesn't love fish. Hey, Eddie, <laughs> explain yourself. He likes salmon. <laughs> <laughs> he likes tuna fish. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not apologizing. Or like John Tesh. I'm not apologizing for fish. Like, but I will give Trey some credit for being a good guitar player. I don't care about any of that. John Tesh. Yeah. The fuck is that? The piano guy? Yeah, that's like, you know, like new age, like fucking Spyro like Gyra. Like, yeah. Yeah. But see, if anybody came up to me with some John Tesh shit, you better be Burt Bacharach age because. No, you better be in here fixing my computer because <laughs> you're a goddamn fucking weirdo. <laughs> but like bands that like. Trigger me, fucking Joe Cassio over here. Bands that trigger me, like I was, I was on set the other day. We were talking about music, and uh, Rick Ocasek passed away. A couple did days. he? Yeah. When? A couple days ago. Really? Found dead in his apartment in New York or in his house. Wow, in New York. I didn't know that. Seventy-five or seventy-eight, seventies. And I was like, man, did you hear about Rick Ocasek? And the first words out of one of the guy's mouth was like, I was never a Cars fan. I was like. What? Like, how can you not have been a Cars fan? And then he goes like, you know what else? I was never a Talking Heads fan. And then the other guy agreed with him. He's like, yeah, I'm not into Talking Heads. And I'm like, okay, both of you just mm-hmm. lost credit with me. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm a Talking Heads fan. I mean, there's some of their... I guess I am. There's some of their songs that I just love. And I have their records, so I guess, yeah. I, but, I mean... <clears throat> I'm not wearing Talking Heads t-shirts and, like, you know, beating down the fucking doors to see them live. The innovation that they oh yeah that they did at the time, they don't deserve any negative commentary or saying oh I was never a fan. Like first of all, I don't even know how you can equate the Cars and Talking Heads, but mm-hmm. to say that you weren't a fan of the Cars, it's like there's such... yeah, but what did they like in the eighties then? Katrina and the way. Well, that's what I was. And I was like, wait, maybe you guys weren't weren't even born in that time. A lot of see if that's they what, knew them though. They probably but this is a lot of what I find myself. What I a lot of the times what I find myself the predicament I find myself in is I'm talking to somebody who wasn't there when these bands were releasing records. And it makes a huge difference because they have the advantage of having the opinion of like like if they had an older brother and was like, hey, check this out. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as being around when that dropped. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a huge difference in your and the gravitation that these things have on you, like listening to like there's like we were talking about Metallica, you know, on our Metallica episode, we we're talking about like the kids that only knew and justice for all and on and never heard kill them all. There's mm-hmm. that gap that makes a giant difference in stuff. So it was like, yeah, they were born. If a kid was born in 1980, the talking heads, they would have missed the boat on the talking heads because they're not listening to music till they're 10. Yeah. And but- they're it's 1990. And then Nirvana comes out. So they listen to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and all that. And then somebody's like, hey, check this band out. And they're like, they don't have the same It's because they're impact. not. It's their, they're just a different type of fan. Mm-hmm. or Because even like, you know, we're talking about like uh, Elijah. He's young. And um, I don't think that he's that rare. But it's like, he's, he's going backwards. I think he's rare because of having the influence that he has like he he took a lot of his 
cues from the people around him the yeah, way we did with our cousin but he also but also too like it's it's so much easier now too to like i mean for us i was always interested in getting to the roots of things like if i got an album by a band and it wasn't their first album i wanted to know why that album sounded that way so i wanted to find the album all the albums before it even if i got into a band like say in the middle of their discography and it's just a band like i remember uh what was it i'm i can't think of any any bands off the top of my head right now but if i got into a band say in the middle of their discography yeah i would always go backward before i went forward because i need to know why this sounds like this i want to go backwards i want to know the origins of it um but that took time like if I went to a used record store, even when, and I didn't go that often, but even if I went, you know, a couple times a month, it's not like I'm going to buy fucking 10 records. I'm going to buy maybe two or three. Uh, now, with Spotify and everything, you don't have to buy shit. You could sit there and if you've got, and kids, what the fuck do kids have to do? They don't got to do shit. <laughs> they got all goddamn day. If you want, you can sit there and, Go through ev- just hours you can, and hours. You can and literally hours. unearth the history of music. If you're a kid today, mm-hmm. you can gain the historical knowledge of music in a fucking gl- a, a blip of time that we had because we had to flip records, flip tapes. You know, we but there's still something about being fanatical though. You know right. I mean? But I'm saying I'm sure there and I'm sure there's some young kids that are fanatical and they really, really like I think I don't think they're that much younger than us, but Jacob and Conrad are fanatical. Like mm-hmm. they really, really are into and they really delve into things and they really have a like a they have a mindset of discovery versus and, it, and Elijah is the same mm-hmm. way, you know. And even the twins, they are really into like the older stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes it surprises me like the stuff that they are into because they're, I mean, there's no way they could have heard this stuff. Like they're so young, you know? Mm-hmm. And like now that, you know, like my kids, like I have one that's very into the current pop stuff. And then like Jay, he's just, he wants to like, he'll hear something interesting and I won't even pay attention to what it is. And then he'll be like, Hey, what's that? And the things that he asks for, like the very, the, the very first time that it, he threw me off was he wanted to know the echoes the the pink floyd echo song mm-hmm. and he wanted he would request that song he was way younger i was like it's a 22 minute song like how could you have how could your brain even like you know like how can that captivate you at your and I, you know i'm underestimating mm-hmm. that and so now he'll hear something and he'll just randomly like with the things that he hears and he'll ask questions are really sometimes take me for a loop because I'm thinking he wants to hear because he's like into the stroke. So I sometimes I'll purposely pick stuff that's like more like older stuff that sounds kind of like mm-hmm. that influenced them or whatever. And then Frank Zappa came on my playlist and he immediately was like, who's this? And started listening to like Frank Zappa. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, it's crazy because I don't want to underestimate any of the kids out there i just 
know what I see and what I, and the conversations that I have with some kids mm-hmm. that it's like, and I, and I don't, I don't mean to call everyone a kid, but when you're under 30, you're a kid to me yeah, because you weren't even born. Mm-hmm. If you weren't born when yeah, you don't want to underestimate them. I don't even want to look at them. <laughs> and like the, you know, like sometimes I'm just like, man, the, the things that surprise me are when either they know of something older or they really want to know about it that's more mm-hmm. what i'm game for you know what i mean yeah. but like somebody who says like and i hate the fucking expression but they'll be like eh, like like they don't understand the relevance of that particular band because of the time and that's the thing that i really really it, it have a be. have a like passion for mm-hmm. because i'm like look they didn't have the modern equipment. They made this sound with what they had at the time. No one else was putting out anything like it. Well, and I think that's what it is too. It's like it could be a byproduct of just it's a it's got to be a point of reflection between audience and artist as far as the the output that's com- that's that's coming about, the value in that in some way is a reflection of what the people have. Like meaning if you're an artist and you're putting out music, what is it listening? What is it being listened to on? What platforms do exist that didn't exist before? And what is the connection with the listener to those platforms? Right. It's totally been depreciated from like what we're talking about. We bought records. You had to actually go walk into a record store and the, the whatever they had in the record store was finite. It wasn't every single thing known to man. Right. It was whatever the record store had. And sometimes there were record stores that leaned a little to the rhythm and blues, or there was one that was straight pop, or there was like the stores that we found that had like metal and punk and whatever, you know? Yeah, like a Zed or a Bionic. Yeah, or... it was, it, and it, not even so much boutique, but it was like there was, there was more to connect to and to yeah. understand. So... That's why you have fans that grew with those bands and fucking wanted to like, you know, you just you. You had to have a little bit deeper of a thought process to be a music fan because you had to do some work. And I think that anybody that is coming of age now unless they're that rarity that's really just connected to music there's going to be less of a chance for them to have any real connection to it because they don't even have a connection to getting it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, it's just like right now, like shit. I remember when we grew up, um, I don't even really like, yeah, I'll watch some television shows, which it's just so weird because it's not real TV anymore. It doesn't seem like it because the medium has changed. You know, it's a, it's, it's your computer. It's, it's these, it's not like when we grew up, it was like, you got fucking channel two, you got four, you got, Indie ones, five, nine, and um, uh, 13, and 11. And the Spanish. You know what I mean? Yeah, then you have KDOC, you got 56, whatever. It was finite. Yeah. And if you wanted to fucking watch, like I remember when you come home from school, and it was like a two-hour block. It was like, what's happening? Two episodes back to back, 
and then it was fucking Good Times, and then it was fucking uh, Sanford His Son. But now, at your beck and call through whatever, if you use an Amazon Prime or Hulu or Netflix or there's a bunch of a Pluto TV. I don't even know what that is. There's all these other new ones out there too. It's like, you want to watch every episode of Cheers fucking on your week vacation? There yeah. it is. You don't have to wait a week to watch the next installment. So even with that, it's like eventually the quality is going to depreciate. Yeah, it's Because like a, there's no quality on the other end it's being just, held between it's, the consumer. It's gluttony. Yeah, and, and it's like, fuck, <clears throat> this is awesome that fucking McDonald's has a dollar menu. Yeah. I don't want to eat at McDonald's in the first place, but I know that if I got 10 bucks, I'm going to fucking... Eat till you're full. Yeah, you know? Yeah, um, and like the... and But but then what what is the what is the bottom line of that? Is that, hey, you just spent 10 bucks, but for what? You got $10 worth of fucking crap. Because that's all you were willing to invest, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's like I mean, it's the it's it's the convenience culture that we've created, and like I won't allow myself to binge TV. I watch one episode of whatever the show I'm. I might watch three episodes in one day of three different shows, mm-hmm. but I won't watch another. You know what I mean? Like I I. If I get to the point where I have so much time where I can just sit there and watch all the TV, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go do something else. Mm. Like, if I can sit here and waste this much time doing nothing, like, like my TV doesn't come on until usually 6 or 7 o'clock at night. I'll listen to records. Like, I was listening to records this morning, and I didn't even, I, I didn't even have, like, the energy to, like, read. But, like, I'll read... I'll read a book or I'll put on a record or something. Anything I can do before I get, as soon as that TV goes on, it's like a trap. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm trapped. Even if I don't want to watch anything in particular, I'm going to watch. You're going to find something. Anything. And the thing that's not the same is music. Mm -hmm. Like when I put music on, it's deliberate. If it's Spotify, if it's a record, if it's a YouTube k-hole of watching live footage of a band that i just discovered or something like that mm-hmm. like it's a deliberate choice you know what i'm saying it's like mm-hmm. to me i have a much stronger connection to music and like like <clears throat> one of these bands like we're talking about or this band that we're talking about in particular it's like when i not that i wouldn't just listen to them or they're always on my, one of my playlists i always have one of their songs on one of my playlists. like it's always a go-to band for me but after reading the the book the the first you know John Doe book I don't I hopefully that's the first one but it's under the big black sun um, it just had like it reignited that mm-hmm. passion and it, you know what's funny it was like when we I we did that outdoor movie we did the fast times that during that whole week before we played the movie I was just all go goed out it was just go goes mm-hmm. because the book you know they were talking the go goes were writing chapters in there mm-hmm. and I was like and like the the big the is it we got the beat that's the big go go's record the, the breakthrough record or whatever i think cuz they had one before that i think it was vacation was the biggest one that was the biggest one well, it was beauty and the beat beauty and the beat the one with we got the beat right but there was one before that i think there was one before that that was not the breakout 
one and I was like watching their videos and I was like mm-hmm. I was like I was like man like this shit was fucking huge when it came out and like how did these five girls put out this like phenomenal record that like even you know because I remember when that came out I was all heavy metal out punk and heavy metal and I still love the go-go's like mm-hmm. they crossed that that genre you know blur they blurred that or they they closed the gap of that separation that we were talking that I was talking about earlier. And like, yeah. you know, like reading that X book really re, you know, like invigorated my like feel for like that time of my life and like all those records. And I listened to X probably like two straight days after I read that book. You know, I mm-hmm. went back and like when those the backstories of particular songs and what have you, and I'm like, fuck, I want to go back and I want to listen to that. You know, and like when you hear when you learn about something like that, it's like I don't know that you can that there's anything equivalent in any other media. Like I don't know if there's an equivalence to like a TV show or a movie or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is hearing or learning the backstory of like how these songs came about or what the Well, if you think about I mean, if you think about comparing like okay, just like those three art forms right right off the bat like music, literature, and film. It's like Literature and music are so much more, in my mind, open-ended because film could have all those elements in it. It's it's something that's written. It's some it can have a soundtrack, but because there's a visual aspect, there's that much more chance of it remaining finite. Where you could there's some movies that you can watch. It's got to be really good, where you get something different out of it every single time. But and that's because the writing to me is done in a way that there's an aloofness about it. There's, there's something that's not necessarily just straight up vague, but will, will make you think. But even then it's like, there's still, there's, there's, there's a visual attachment to it. So it's easier to put it in, to compartmentalize it when you're listening to music and then you're listening, you're reading the story about this song. Maybe those words, means something completely different to you now because you you had an idea of what they were talking about. Now the motherfucker's telling you it was just about this trip, you know. So then now your mind has limited imagery to go along with what you're hearing. So you Mm. have that much more of uh of a of a free canvas per se for your mind to paint pictures on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah and the funny the the, the thing about music too is the environment you're listening to it in can change how you hear it. Mm-hmm. Like listening to it in headphones, listening to it in your car stereo, listening to it on, on a nice stereo system with like really quality speakers. All of them are different. Yeah. They all have a different feel. Like the way you the way you relate to it is different. Like when you're in a car in traffic, listening to something, it has a visceral effect on you. When you're at home sitting on your couch, putting a record on, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's all these different, uh, physical attributes to it versus like, you ain't watching a movie in a car unless you're not, unless you're a passenger bored on a long child. Yeah. You just 
back there going, baby shark. Yeah, like if you're a kid in the back seat watching on your phone, tablet, or the screens that are behind the heads, the headrest or something like that. But like most of the time we watch movies in theaters or at the house. Mm-hmm. And you're not really like you might get something different. Like I think like the shining can do that for me. Like there's yeah. always something different to pick up on. Or even like most any of his fucking movies. Mm-hmm. They're just so thick and like, you know, yeah. dense with like information that they that, give you a platform to use your brain. It's, yeah. It's not like how you're saying that nowadays if a movie like Woman Under Influence, if she's grabbing a pill bottle, it's gotta be a clear shot of it saying fucking what it is yeah, or something. Like that's the influence. Yeah. Like it has to be spelled out for you. <clears throat> you know, it's, what's weird are you talking about the context of how you're inter- how you're taking the medium medium of how you're getting the music, whether it's you could listen to the same song on headphones, not on headphones, uh in day or night. There's different things. I remember one time I took I was in Santa Monica. I took my car to the shop and I had to leave it. And I was like, well, I could either sit here and read magazines or as much fun as it is to sit in a fucking auto shop's uh, lobby. They always have really great coffee and the best <laughs> up-to-date magazines you can think of. Um, but I was like, fuck it. You know what? I'm going to take a walk to the beach. Uh, this is down on, like on 11th in Wilshire. So I just walked down to the ocean, sat down on a bench, and was just listening to music. Um, I was listening to Tones on Tail. And I remember I sat down. And I was listening to Twist and uh, with headphones on, pretty loud. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. So I went back. The next time I heard that song, because I was on the beach, I had never noticed that there was birds in the music. I thought that I was just, I'm on the, the birds beach. Of the beach. Fuck, these are real seagulls. And then I came <laughs> back and I'm listening to them. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, did I bring the beach back with me? Like, <laughs> I never, ever heard those birds in that song ever That's before. Funny. And it's not like, you know, like, I've listened to that album. My, I've had my fair share of listening to it. But when something just like, you know, like, you hear, a, it just sounds different. Yeah. Or there's a different element or whatever, like, um, that's what I mean, too, about having that, like, open-ended... Um, sensibility where a movie and yeah you mentioned the shining that's what i that's my go-to as far as like something that i could watch or 2001 definitely has it's always different but how rare is that you know what i mean yeah um one thing we were talking earlier during our break about clive davis and it's funny like i didn't know that you know his first signing was janice joplin watching his thing and then they showed you know her legendary performance at monterey pop um and then i was thinking about it, i was like so monterey pop festival in like 1967 uh it's the whole like you know the bay area was really was cultivating a lot of good stars you had the birds you had moby grape uh playing the show not that the birds were from up there but moby grape was quicksilver messenger service uh, big brother um and the holding company uh, the electric flag, and then the Who came down. Um, Jimi Hendrix's first Otis. performance back in you know the fucking states. Otis Redding back by the MGs. Um, so like the context of this is like 
probably the first rock festival ever in that sense with these acts that were like they weren't even stars yet but they were you know if you if you know what i mean like they were at least already had the dna in them they were rubbing shoulders with the rolling stones rolling stones the beatles were already established at this point they're already putting out you know sergeant pepper satanic majesties this that and the other um they were established i think eric burden and the new animals played that show too but so you have all these acts playing in front of you know whatever a few thousand like 20 something thousand people or more festival um outdoors during the day probably primitive amplification systems this that and the other and i've seen a lot of those performances and i've heard a lot of the bootlegs of the people they don't have film for mm. like a moby grape and i think moby grape was the first band that played but the ones that stand out the grateful dead played too um Jimi Hendrix, obviously. The Otis Redding performance is fucking insane. And Janis Joplin. Everybody else is kind of just like, eh. And even as big of a Who fan as I am, that's that, that was not fucking revolutionary for yeah. me. But, so I'm watching the Janis Joplin performance. It's her doing uh, Ball and Chain. And think about her context. She's, you know, playing in front of all these thousands of people it's new there's not like you know it's not like now where it's like there's bands that they play Lollapalooza they play Bonnaroo they play Coachella they play fucking the Riot Fest whatever sometimes it's the same band on all of them throughout the whole year yeah so to that and then the ones in you know Reading Glastonbury after a while it's just the same fucking festival it's just a sea of people and you're playing that's great but you have a context for that this is like they're just making this shit up and that performance, as many times as I've seen it, it's like, how could a Clive Davis, who now all of a sudden is the head of CBS, not see her and be like, wow. Yeah. You know? And then he signs her, and then they change musical history. But then I'm thinking that, and I'm like, you know, whoever was the A&R person or whoever discovered someone like Drake, did they ever have the wow moment with him? Like, how is that possible? How did someone sit there and either see him or listen to his bullshit music and go, man, this is amazing? Like, I don't I don't understand how that's even possible. I don't think it's I don't even think that that's what happens anymore. Clearly, that's I, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I think what happens is. There's some there's some people. That. Because everything goes backwards now. Nothing goes forward. Everything goes backwards. It's more like, oh, this is what, this is what these kids want. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they're not creating something. It's ba- it's manufacturing. It's reverse manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, this doesn't matter if there's a wow moment anymore. It matters if we can make this guy fit into the mold that we want people to, like fawn over and like and like mm-hmm. there's so many like when wu-tang first came out mind-blowing you know what i mean like that many mcs on the mic like no one's ever no one had ever done that i mean a few like smaller groups freestyle fellowship people Brand that would pe- people that no one would ever have heard of mm-hmm. except local la heads and shit but like it's it's not like that anymore now it's like oh we're gonna go get this guy 
we're gonna reverse manufacture like these things and as long as they can are coherent enough <laughs> to like get through a verse like i don't I, you know, when Drake first came out, I had a lot against him. But after listening to a lot of the other people, I actually don't have anything against him anymore. I actually like some of his songs now mm-hmm. because he's the lesser of it's the... It's not as bad. He's the lesser of the evils that's mm-hmm. out there right now. And it's like, you know, he was just an easy guy to package. He was an actor. Mm-hmm. He was on a hit kid TV show. He was, you know... That's what makes sense, like, about... Like how um, a show like American Idol works. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, like I remember when that show first came out and I was just like, this is fucking like, really? It's a fucking televised talent show. Like this is the lowest form of entertainment. Um, It's retarded. Stupid. It's 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 and it totally to me. Even though there were some, I guess, some real, like, artists that were not just someone fucking coming from karaoke, but it was just like, man, so basically, you don't have to pay dues anymore. You could just fucking be on this show. I don't know how many years that show's been in business. I want to say, like, 13 or something. Mm -hmm. Out of all those years, there's only two recognizable artists. What, Kelly Clarkson and... And uh, And the country girl. And the country girl actually is really Whoa, good. Well, didn't what's her name come from that show? Who? The who's that annoying black girl? Is she? I mean, she and then she even crossed over into movies. Oh, Jennifer Hudson. Okay, yeah, so there's three. She came from that. There's three. Clay Aiken. But see, Clay Aiken. What not, happened to fucking Ruben Stoddard? Nothing. That's what I'm saying. There's only like I forgot about Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson. I don't think she won it, but she became a huge star. Yeah, but the country girl is phenomenal, and in the in her genre mm-hmm. music, she should have been a star without that show. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm saying. Kelly Clarkson, I'm not a fan of, but she can sing and she can hold her own. Yeah, but out of 13 fucking years, there's only three notable people, mm-hmm. and the other show, the one the. Who wants to be a millionaire? No, the voice. <laughs> Not one notable person. Well, from yeah, because at that point from that show, and it's like there's not there's nothing genuine about people who go on those shows. Well, that, that's that like there's there's something missing about the genuineness of like a real artist creating music. Well, yeah, because it's because they're fucking cutting corners, man. Yeah, and even like they have, I mean, they have those for like comics and shit too. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's just disgraceful where it's like, what about all the motherfuckers that were doing it the way you're supposed to do it for years? Now, all you need to do is just be on this fucking talent show and you get same thing with cooks. You know, it's like you have these people that have been cooking food and struggling. And then now, oh, just just go on the show and you'll fucking get a name. And what what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on a dog show because you can be whatever you want nowadays. And I want to be a dog. Oh, here you <laughs> fucking go. So I'm going to enter a dog show. And, I better, is, and I'm going to win. Is the Stooges going to be your theme song? <laughs> if Iggy lets me, I'm going to use it. Oh, my God. And this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be the championship dog. And no not. one can take that away from me. And then I'm going to be a billionaire dog. 
What? What? I mean, there's a there's a billionaire cat, little grumpy cat. What is that? He died. He was a famous cat. Who? Grumpy cat. Grumpy cat. Now you just make his shit up. We had him on a TV show. Oh my god. We had to book him like a real talent. (laughs) Grumpy cat. This is what my life has become. Dealing with the fucking grumpy cat. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna be a dog from now on. From now on. I'm gonna be atomic dog (laughs) from now on. <laughs> so fuck no, I'm not gonna use Ziggy. I'm gonna use George because George is all high on crack. He ain't gonna know the difference anyway. I'll be like, you signed this. Um, anyway, so I want to I want to rate this record. Which record are we doing? X. <laughs> Talking about Grumpy Cat. Cat. This is the second time that we've had some fucking some feline fucking. Uh, <laughs> Interjections. All right, so let's rate this. Los Angeles? Los Angeles. I got to give it a 10. I think it's a perfect album. You give album. X a 10? Yep. I think it's perfect. Sounds great. It still sounds like, even from the first song, that first snare hit to Johnny Hit and Run Pauline, it's like, or not Johnny Hit and Run Your Pauline. phone's off the hook. Yeah, it's like, man, it just makes you want to fucking go. I mean, and it's it's like I think it did. Uh, it's definitely a a a under. A pr- I don't, I don't want to say I'll, uh, I'll say underappreciate uh, underappreciated gem in Los Angeles Los Angeles's rich musical like contribution to the world because you know like. It was all about New York before. And I'm talking about even, I'm talking about like Tin Pan Alley turning into the Brill Building. Yeah. Um, like it took some years for the center of the musical universe to turn into Los Angeles. And that came in with the advent of like singer songwriters and like the Eagles, you know, that whole like Western kind of pop sound, you know, James Taylor, um, the Eagles, Jackson Brown. The Canadian the influence with uh, Joni Mitchell and well the birds, but I mean the birds were already kind of big in the '60s, but LA still wasn't the capital of the no. fucking the we they have, weren't the center of the musical universe until I like mean, the Eagles. And if stuff. you think about like <clears throat> what came out of here, like Love, The Doors, like we had some big fucking bands, Buffalo Springfield, Buffalo Springfield, even though. He's from Canada. Buffalo Springfield was, well, that's was, just Neil Young. was birthed here um, in Laurel Canyon. Like the whole Laurel Canyon scene before the Hollywood scene was mm-hmm. huge. Well, that was the birds. Yeah. Um, Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, but then it got, it, it was game changing when it got into the singer songwriter era of like, to me, it just makes me think of AM radio. Like it makes mm. me think of Jackson Brown and James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, Carol King, uh, which Carol King was a Brill Building, you know, writer. Uh, writer but yeah. it's almost like the sound of her album Tapestry. Like it sounds like West Coast. Yeah, you know. Um, and then even in the seventies, like a lot of the disco, like Casablanca, that was he was here. Uh, 
there was um, a lot of the uh, of the um, what's it called? Just bad like disco records too. You know, where at that point it's everything's getting manufactured. Where it's just like you're talking about like what is that? The fruit gum bubble, like the 1910 fruit gum bubble gum, some bullshit. Where it's like it's just novelty music. Um, and then the fruit gum sunshine company, or something whatever? like yeah. that. Um, and then it's kind of like a. I don't want to say a lull, but they kind of just side like like punk rocks just under the rug. And then what's the next thing that comes out of L.A. that's big is fucking hair metal. Yeah. Um, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Poison. Uh, then L.A. is back on top, but for, known for that. Yeah. You know. Quiet Riot and, and Wasp. A lot of that was being like created at the same time like rubbing shoulders with you know like you look at some of those bills for like the starwood and it's like fucking uh the plimsolls uh the jam and then fucking quiet like metal was starting to sneak in there yeah and then it got to a point where it's like now it's just all metal and now there's maybe one punk rock bill like it was like a change you know and it was because it was more of a it was easier to sell you know, um, that party, that party, that LA party excess vibe took over. Yeah. And I, mean, I this, think this, this record clicks all the boxes for like my fandom and my, you know, my youth. It's like the title of the record is Los Angeles. It's like home. It's a band that I, I don't want to say I grew up with them, but I grew up during the time that they were like, prevalent and something that something i own something i continually listen to it's like it's a 10 for those you know those aspects for me like it's not something that i'm like oh yeah like i really you know i have that record and it's like it's it means something to me but i never listen to it like i still listen to this it's got staying power yeah like it's it's like putting on los angeles putting on johnny hit and run pauline like those things if even if like I'll hear, I think Johnny Hen Ron Pauline's in a movie. I can't remember which movie, but it's like, even just hearing it, not in the context of me putting on a plane, it's like, it, you know, it's exciting. It's like, oh shit, like that music director must be really fucking cool because he picked the next song. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's like, it has cred to it. I mean, the band, it has, the band as a whole has cred. And, you know, I saw them, I can't even count how many times I've saw them, but I've seen them in small places. I've seen them at the Velodrome. I've seen them at Sunset Junction, you know, mm-hmm. just on the street in Silver Lake. And it's like every single time it's always been <clears throat> a great experience knowing all the songs, you know, knowing the, knowing what I'm in for as far as like the performance goes. And so like, I don't think Billy Zoom played the last time I saw them. I can't remember anymore, but. Uh, that was probably because of the condition I was in. Um, but yeah, like hands down a must own, must listen to kind of a thing. 10. Yeah. I think too, it's cool that it's like that they have their own, like definitely they are, they are appreciated and they are like held 
with that legendary regard in a lot of circles that have like some validity to their word and their value as contributors, whether they're just avid fans, listeners, or musicians and artists. But it's kind of cool that they don't have that, like, like we talked one of those times, we talked about like the Misfits, mm-hmm. where it's like the Misfits is like, oh yeah, I like the Misfits. Like, it's like, I don't fucking care that you like the Misfits. Yeah. <laughs> I almost wish that you didn't like the Misfits because you fucking ruined the Misfits for right. me. Like, no one has ruined X. Well, it's funny because it's like 39 years later, the unheard music still holds value in the sense of what that's about. Yeah, it's crazy. Like they're still, they are still unheard in so many different respects. And 39 years later. That's another thing that makes me think like, like about how it was just like, okay, we're, their first album's called Los Angeles. And in so many ways, like, Los Angeles has gotten so much like fucking criticism for like just oh well LA fuck LA like especially like when it comes from San Francisco it really pissed me off like because it's like fuck San Francisco what's so great about San Francisco especially now you know like to me like whatever there's some good music that's come out of San Francisco but then thinking about like hate Ashbury like why the fuck do I care about some rich kids that don't want to fucking work and they have everything at their beck and call and they just want to fucking do a bunch of drugs like that's something to be proud of like fuck all you people stay in san francisco um and you know who gives a shit about what you guys are doing up there we don't but yet la has always gets criticism from all angles and there's some especially like you know we used to work production and i don't hear it as much anymore but i would still run into it from time to time where you have people like talking so much about how great New York is and oh, but in New York and New York, it's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, go back. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, whatever, New York, birth of hip hop, birth of punk rock, that's great. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. I, I would be lying if I said that, you know, uh, that I don't have an appreciation for that. And that hasn't been a big part of my life. But at the same time, it's like, why should I feel bad about being from Los Angeles when there's so like it's almost in in at the end of the day, it's almost better that it's like, you know what? You guys don't like us. Good. You know, then fucking go back to wherever you came from and leave us the fuck alone. You know what I mean? Like we have a lot more to offer than just the fucking good weather, you know, especially like, being from here as opposed to a transplant that. Yeah. Kind of like takes on you know like a lot of a lot of what happens in new york and la are both the same thing it's transplants Mm -hmm. it's like there's not that many people from new york yeah like the hip-hop people are from new york yeah a lot of the original punk i mean like the ramones they're all from they're from queens but it's like there's a lot of people now in the new age that's like it's like fucking portland who's from portland yeah like no you're not from there you just live there and if you've lived there for an x amount of years you then call yourself a New Yorker or you call yourself an Angelino. And it's like nobody, not that's not this many people can be from these two places. You know, yeah. it's like it shouldn't even be a competition between the two. It should be like New York's got what it has to offer. We have what we have to offer. And that's it. And there's like neck and neck. There's nothing, you know, maybe Sinatra or something like that. That's like the biggest 
thing to come out of there, you know, but like the Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons and we got the Beach Boys and you know what I mean? Like we can go mm-hmm. back and forth with everything. And it's like, it shouldn't even have to be that way. It's just like, yeah, like people are making music. This is where, ha- where they happen to have landed. But even like how you mentioned like the Beach Boys, like I think that there's one thing over there, like in in Hawthorne or somewhere that's like a little like where they did something Mm. not like in Liverpool where it's this big like you know where the Beatles which that's there's nothing wrong with that but it's like we can't even allow ourselves to you know like fucking like be proud of what come out what has come out of here right you know like even with the fucking uh I don't think it ever have ever happened but there was a time where the Capitol Records building was going to be turned into condos it was and it's like they deemed it a historical building instead. Yeah, and it's like, man, you know how many records were made in there? Like yeah. history, we're re- we're so ready. It does kind of make sense though, because you know, in the in the scope of you know, the birth of the United States, it all came from the East. So by the time we got here, what is Los Angeles but an amalgamation, even architecturally? Of I mean, we have Broadway. What was that mimicking? Yeah, <laughs> it's mimicking fucking Broadway in New York. Yeah. Why is that's all the theaters? New York is already mimicking something from fucking England. You know what I mean? Um, But uh, but still, it's like to just accept like, yeah, this is a fucking transplant city. It's the last big city, fucking that was created here on the map. But never mind all that. It is fucking. It stands for what it is. It's one of the biggest cities, you know, on the earth on the planet. And there's a lot to be proud about. And it's bold to just be like, hey, we're just going to name our record Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, it's cool where it's like, I like that you don't give a fuck about it then. You and know? the X is on fire. It's like, yeah, so fitting. Well, yeah. Um, Double digits. That was X. Yep. That was episode X. All right, next time, I think we might get into movie soundtracks or show tunes. And you know what the first one's going to be? It's going to be Cats.